Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, guys, I'm sorry. It's been a while since I've used the interface, so here I am. Uh, believe it or not, it's Doc. Yeah, and I have my monitoring screen over here. And uh, anyway, um, there's a little bit of extra furniture in the back because they're doing some painting on a wall over here. But uh, but yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. So I just, I haven't used the interface for a little while, but yeah, I'm still here. So I had all of my sport coats cleaned and my Navy pea coat, my wool pea coat um, back in May. And I had to drive an hour to the dry cleaner uh, to do that. So, um, because everything's gone around here, we don't have a dry cleaner in town anymore. Like the family one that was here for like 90 years, you know, closed up. So yeah, this is the first time I've worn the sport coat since it's been cleaned. So it's looking good. Um, yeah. Um, so let's go. I have a couple things to go over here, but, and then we're going to, to dig deep into this, the school stuff, because this is probably happening by you. Like, you know, within a stone's throw of where you live, Zippy and Swamp and, and Andrew and all you guys, like this, this is probably happening. So uh, a few things. Yesterday, I, I biked 70 miles, which is a good outing. Um, it's not the most I've biked, but it's most I've biked this year. I haven't topped 70 miles. And, you know, it's kind of a weird year because we had a cold spring and um, I just kind of never got... Um, uh, it, usually by this time of year, I've had more bike rides. In. But anyway, um, there were a lot of blue heron on a backwater of the Wisconsin River. So it was really cool. And I would get off the bike, get out my camera. And, and you know, like I'm, I'm a good 100 yards away from where they're at. And their hearing is so sensitive, right? Like if you just make a little bit of a, you know, I, I brushed my foot against some gravel on the road and boom, they all left. They're gone. So I'd be like super slow with my movements and things, but I, I got some pretty cool pictures. Um, and actually, let me see if I can, can bring one up. So, I mean, that was, that was really a, a treat to, um, to do that, to, to be out there. And, and yeah, let me, let me share this on screen right now share screen yep got it so right there let me move myself down uh so that is you know that's zoomed in right but that's a backwater of the wisconsin river in the back there is is a levee um and yes there's some uh there's some heron so really really cool really cool this time of year when you have that stuff going on so um yeah so yeah, I felt great on the ride. And I always say like a bike ride is, uh, is a terrific diagnostic tool for your health <laughs> because, uh, you know, one, right, cardiovascular um, and, you know, your, your pulse, right? Um, the other one is balance. Um, of course, cognition, like where, where am I? You know, like can I you kind of, you know, map out where you're at and how to get back. And then I do these things where I'll take like a mile and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to bike like 18 miles an hour 
consistently like for this mile and then i'll stop and you know well just keep biking but and that's to to kind of check for endurance like you know was able to do it any issues and stuff like that but uh but yeah it was great it was it was absolutely great um so yeah got the bike out spent the day before getting it um tuned up and i've got it right i mean realistically i've got two months of bike rides left and then i have to store it away but so really nice though oh god just in just great so i've been building my fall classes i teach uh, university classes uh, for the same university uh since 2003 so this is entering my 19th year and i teach uh a superintendent um, legal issues course and then a special education law course uh, both this fall. So that will occupy um, six weekends <laughs> starting not too long. So, um, and I updated. So the university every year will send out a new syllabus template and, and you have to take your existing syllabus and then merge it into this template. And what that involves is there's usually new policies or regulations and they'll link out to, you know, other things, but um, that's becoming more, it's taking more time. Like in the old days, there would just be minor tweaks on a syllabus. And now like you have to reformat and, and just change up all of these, these things quite a bit. It's not just a copy and paste. So, um, but I've been building those out. I think I have both of them done. I'll check them one more time. And then the classes are in person but there's also an online component and it's called Moodle. Um, so I have that mostly built out. I just need to go and, and make sure everything works and the links work and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, those are, those are coming up. Um, looking forward to it today. I was at our farmer's market in town and, uh, always, always enjoy, uh, being able, um, to do that. Right. You know, Hey, you know, grab a big tomato and, and um, I have I had the best salsa I've ever had in my life. Um, I bought today, it, you know, no sugar salsa, and and it was it was interesting because I asked the lady, I'm like, well, tell me a little bit about your salsa, and she's like, I boil this down for like four hours, and you know, all the stuff, and and she had her her she had the label on it, and then um, they have like this family produce farm or or. Um, but she had her name, her address, and her phone number, like her cell phone number, like on this label. And again, it goes to like this. Um, I think there's a there's a website then, which is like the, a family, uh, like a produce farm and stuff. But I'm like, that's commitment when you do that, like as a as a seller, right? Like you know, you you were standing behind your your product. But it was it was terrific. It was awesome so i will be back there next thursday partially because there's the knife guy now i don't know if you remember back i remember this like back in the 70s there'd be um there somebody would would come through town either um like a pickup truck or a cart and would sharpen knives like you um and i think it got it got changed to where you had a go to like a spot where this knife sharpening person, we had one in town here, um, you know, not too long ago, I don't know, five, 10 years, a little sign outside of his, his house, like, you know, bringing your scissors and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, so I'm like, you know, a, a lot of stuff that could use um, sharpening 
that I, I use outdoors to trim and stuff like that. So I was like, yay. Well, he's like, I'll be here next week. I'm like, boom, I'm bringing down a whole bunch of stuff for you, buddy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was cool. You know, the farmer's market is kind of a, it's kind of a weird vibe though, because you've got the produce and vegetable, you know, vegetable people. Right. And, uh, and then you've got the people who do the, are selling candles and crocheted things and stuff like that, which to me really isn't a farmer's market. Like that's doesn't belong in a farmer's market, um, more of a craft sale. But I think that when that gets too conflated, um, these, these places just kind of lose their, their appeal. Right. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I found, I mean, today it was about 80, 20, it was 80% produce and it was 20%, um, you know, like the craft thing. So, um, Hey, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was out at our uh, fire station and we had a, um, we have a new fire engine in town, right? So they retired a 1986 pumper and they bought a new pumper or they ordered one. I think it took about a year and a half for it to get built, uh, $583,000. So when they took delivery, they were told if you were to order this today, it'd be 710,000. So, um, we have a new chief and he wanted to start this tradition, which, um, dates back to when you had the, the horses pulling the, the fire apparatus and, uh, so it was to push the engine into the fire station, which is an incredible feat because the fire station slipped, the front slips down from there. <laughs> but anyway, the truck is 80,000 pounds. So you don't want to have that go wrong. You gotta have some strong people. But it was funny because I went there and they, you know, they basically showed off the, the truck, right? It's a big thing. A lot of people turned out. Um, it was like Monday night and, uh, and, and the chief, pointed to a couple of people and uh, they were elderly people. And they're like, Hey, come over here and you know, push it, help push a truck. And they're like, no way. Like we can't do that. Of course, you know, they're just backing the truck in. Right. But, um, but what something really fascinating, the chief's grandmother was there in attendance. Right. And she's 104 years old, the fire chief's grandmother. And she remembered, and she was telling the story about um, when they had horses pulling the fire apparatus, which which happened in, in our city here until like 1927 or 28 was the last time. And you typically would keep the horses through winter because it was very hard to have any um, driven vehicles back like in the 20s in the city. So, I mean, you didn't have the same snowplow type stuff that you have today and clearing. And it was just easier to with horses to get around the fire apparatus. So, um, but she remembers, so she's there in attendance and there's brand new, you know, um, 2000 gallon per minute pumper and, and all this high tech stuff. And she's talking about, yeah, you know, the fire department was there and then they would, would drop off. They would disconnect the horses. And then the, the people that lived around there would show up and help the firefighters like push the apparatus into the firehouse. Right. And, and I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, this lady recalling, you know, recalling this stuff. Um, so anyway, I, I just, I thought that was phenomenal. That, that I was glad I went anyway, but then to, to hear that. And from her perspective, I mean, it's gotta be pretty amazing, right. To, to look at this thing and say, you know, I remember man, when horses were pulling, you know, a cart with ladders on it. So, um, yeah. 
So, and before we get rolling uh, here into the, the heart of the story, um, I was able to um, remedy my garage floor uh, pretty well. I had a bad batch of um, some cement and, and uh, epoxy uh, cement. I was, I know epoxy isn't cement, but um, for that purpose, right, of, of uh, filling in. I've, I've done it before and whatever, but I never set up. It was, it was really a pain to remove. And I start to use acetone and finally, like, and, uh, you know, grind everything down. But I've got it pretty good now. Like, everything's in the next spring. But, like, acetone. But you got to be careful with acetone rags. Like, when you get done using acetone, you can't just, like, throw that stuff in the garbage because it's such a low flash point. They can just start on fire if it's warm, right? Or if it starts to, you know, it's kind of like a fire in a haymow, right? It's, it's just a, the evaporation and stuff can cause heat. So I, I needed to put all the rags outside. I have this like six foot stone that goes all around my, my house, stones. So I would put it in the middle of the stones, these rags, and then put like a couple stones over them and just let them dry out. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it, it was it was just crazy though. It's like, oh, um, so yeah, well, let's get into today's you know show. Is we have these uh, teacher bonuses. So there is this defined you know teacher shortage. That's not new news, uh, but you don't really hear about that in the media, right? You don't hear about it in the bills that get passed and and uh, the Safer Communities bill, which had a billion dollars heading into school mental health for mental health counselors and stuff. And you got to pump pause at that. At least I have to pause at that and say, oh, you got a billion dollars you're, you're putting over here for, you know, youth mental health in schools. But at the same time, that school might be down 10 teachers for the year that they weren't able to hire. Like they're running short staffed. So at some point you have to ask the question, if, if you weren't short staffed, right? Um, what, how do you square this, right? Like you should be focusing on your staff. You should make sure that you have enough teachers. But that's not that's not the case, right? So the money's coming in toward mental health, and you might have a teacher who has a class of you know forty elementary kids uh, because there aren't enough teach. They haven't hired. There, there's not people out there to have uh, you know a class size of twenty or fifteen or something. But so. So anyway, let's get right into this this uh, kind of big headline here. Des Moines Public Schools in Iowa is offering a $50,000 incentive to teachers, nurses, and administrators who are nearing retirement to stay with the district through the year 2022-2023, this upcoming school year. So if you are going to retire in Des Moines and you know you stick around for a year, they'll give you 50 grand as a teacher or administrator. That's a pretty good deal because um, it counts toward your state retirement system. And, you know, so it's a year you're not drawing off of that. And then it's 50,000 is whatever the district puts in or the taxpayer really, and then the, the teachers. So um, this, this actually has more than a $50,000 bump. It has a bump also in your benefits because you have more money that's going in. But anyway, 50 grand. Um, not a lot of people interested in this. Nope, people, people not. So a few states over in Michigan's Jackson Public Schools and state of Michigan, they're offering 
$1,000 sign-on bonus for new teachers. The catch is you have to stay two years. But if you're willing to stay two years in, in Jackson Public Schools, you will receive a $10,000 signing bonus. Wow. Like completely, I just want to want to pause here. Um, this stuff is unheard of, just so you absolutely know. Um, Bolo is saying, hey, after tax, 25K. Yeah, I'm sure, right, all of this is subject to subject to tax. Um, the part of this, though, like the, the contribution that might go into like a state retirement or something like that um, would be f very beneficial for teachers or like, um, but yeah, I, this this is a very interesting thing. You're right. I mean, Bolo, it's almost like it would be better if they amortized it so you didn't get hit with a big bump on top of your salary because it is going to maybe push you into a different tax bracket. But uh, but yeah, so this this is from me, right? 25 years in education, teach this. Um, bonuses were pretty much the third rail. Nobody was ever giving bonuses in K-12 education. Um, you know, they were offering in some schools, hey, come here and teach. And if you teach here for five years, we'll pay off, you know, $10,000 of your student debt or their, something like that. That was kind of happening, but not on a wide scale. And nowhere, nowhere, like five years ago, was there a posting for a teaching position, K-12, uh, with a with a bonus, right? Um, or, you know, nothing, maybe something negligible, right? Like $500, but um, nothing like $50,000, right? Nothing like that existed. And I I was actually, I had this as a case study, right? And in, in my when I first introduced it to my students, uh, they were kind of like, this will never happen. I'm like, well, whether it happens or it doesn't, it's a good case study to, to talk about how you process through this, right? Um, and yeah, it actually, it's happening. So, so let me talk, you know, a little bit more about this. So Des Moines, right, Des Moines Public Schools offering $50,000 um, for one year. Um, but over in the state of Georgia, Georgia has been trying to recruit retired teachers. So if you re have retired out of Georgia, um, they're contacting you. And they're saying, hey, like, come back, right? And we will, you know, give you a, a lucrative, you know, bonus and additional state retirement, you know, payments, stuff like that. So of 56,000 retirees, get this, in Georgia, who they contacted, right? Out of 56,000 people who had just recently retired, so within maybe the last five years, um, less than 100 responded with an interest of doing this. So even though you're putting the money out there for people, um, there's the money is not changing their mind. So, you know, you look at an average average teacher salary, not new, uh, but average in Wisconsin, I looked today, it was 60,000. You know, some states it's 40,000, some states it's 70,000, but, but, you know, let's just, you know, let's just say, you know, you have a chance to go and double your salary from 50,000 to 100,000. And even if it's short term, right? But even you, these people aren't doing it. They're not going back or someone of saying, oh yeah, like I'll jump back in, into, um, it, you know, I'll teach a year or two and, you know, take some extra payments into my state retirement, you know, which will boost when I actually do officially retire for good. Like I'll get higher payments and by a I'll just have more money right now. The economy is real iffy, right? Like 
it seems like a time when people would be compelled to jump at this. That's, you know, that's the thing, right? Like, you know, shortages going to stores and this might not be here and, and gas has gone up and utilities and just everything else that if you had this opportunity, you'd jump at it, but people aren't jumping at it. So the message there is um, you're not going to be able to buy teachers back into the profession or to sign on to the profession. And, and this to me is what really irks me on this too is I remember as a, as a school administrator, no child left behind and all of that stuff where they were saying, oh, like highly qualified educators and stuff like this. So they would make teachers um, in our state did it too. I got someone flying around here, whatever it is, but um, they would make teachers when I was an administrator, you had to do professional personal improvement or professional plans or whatever they call them. And then um, you had to have a committee which included a peer teacher, an administrator and someone from a university. And you had to meet and go over your plan and how you'd meet these goals and, and whatever. And it was just garbage. Like it was such wasted time doing that. Absolute waste of time. You know, these all these these pseudo certifications. You already have to be licensed to be a teacher, right? It's it's typically a four-year degree, but we're going to talk about how that is changing. But all of these, these no child left behind add-ons, so like these highly qualified teachers. And and really going back, like that caused a lot of this. When you started to add in all of this layering into the credentials, um, you know, five, 10 years ago, people are looking at careers and saying, well, I don't want to get into that. If when I get out, I've got to do all this professional development, like ongoing, and that like my class, their test scores gets linked to me forever. And that was happening in some states, right? They could, they could um, evaluate you and give you, you your pay scale based upon how your students are doing. Well, that's kind of a roll of the dice in some of these cases. Or, you know, what if, you know, again, or you get assigned and and your principal is is weak, right? And there's there's a, a lot of things that aren't being attended to, like the schedule's not very well kept or um, discipline or whatever. I mean, there's things out of your control, so many things. So I think that people's, the, the professions set themselves up for this because again, you can look at this and say, um, there are, you know, through the examples I gave and other ones where, you know, you could have between 80 and $100,000 for, for teachers, plus very generous health insurance in a lot of district, plus um, state pensions in most district. Um, so if you're making, let's say, for example, a 50,000, um, the district might be putting in 3,000 or 4,000 a year into the state pension on your behalf, and then you'd be putting in the same. So it's like a, a one-to-one matching to like seven or 8%. And then that stays there. And then at 55 or older, you can start taking withdrawals and you can usually get like 180 payments or for life, you know, like if you, um, and that's a pretty, pretty sweet gig, right? So anyway, these, these um, you know, this teacher shortage, these bonuses, but the bonuses aren't working. So right there um, is, and I I'd said this, in a previous podcast, and I always share it with my, you know, school administrators in the classes, classes, I said, you know, you can't, you can't, um, even if you're offering $100,000 to a teacher, it's, it just doesn't 
you're not going to bring people in anymore. I mean, I just read an article yesterday. Pharmacists now are being recruited at $75,000 sign-on bonuses. And we can just go down the line of sign-on bonuses for different professions. Like, this is out there. So people are going to be very picky on what they're going to do. And a part of what really hurts education is No Child Left Behind, the remnants of No Child Left Behind, um, and this pro progressive credentialism. You know, you have to get an you know, initial teaching degree with a bachelor's, then you're expected to go back and get, you know, like a master's degree, maybe like a reading license, and then so much continuing education and, and autism certificate and all of these things. English has a second language certificate. People are like, no. Um, now, granted, I'm not anti-professional development. That needs to happen in all professions, right? But it is so, and it's it's so much poured into the education model and it's so much um, tied to whether you move on a salary scale or not. So it's um, it's it's really over the top. So if you move out of education to other professions or come in, like <laughs> it's different. You know, I worked in the private sector and medical before I came over to education, and we didn't have anything close to this for professional development. Not that it was insufficient, but I mean this, you know, these these massive, intense, you know, plans and and. Um, so any, anyway, I think that was the thing. So, um, you know, Vanessa's asking how much money is enough. And, you know, I'm going I'm going to get into that. And let me skip ahead and I'll come back in a little bit and address this in more detail. You can, um, there's a study, the happiness study, the world happiness study. I've, I've got it in the, the post. Uh, it's something I actually, um, it, it's very well done. It's a team of researchers been doing it for a number of years. So you, you find something, hey, it's a world happiness study. It's, it's probably hokey, but it's not. And it's asking, um, you know, over time, people in different countries and whatever, you know, like um, what would be more valuable to you? And one of the questions, they compare different things, but one of the questions, I almost wrote about this in Velocity of Information, although it didn't, it didn't really, it wasn't pertinent in the final draft, but um if you could receive double your salary, right, um, or you knew that the place you lived, if you lost your wallet, that someone would find it. If someone found it, they would return it to you. Like, which one of these is more valuable to you? You can take A or B, like, you know, double, double your salary or re return your wallet. Most people took return your wallet. It wasn't even close. I think it was like three to one. And, you know, this was across countries. This is across time, you know, like last year, year before this year, whatever. And the thing is, right, people want to be in a community where they're supported, where they think people have their back and stuff like that. And, you know, money isn't, I mean, no one is going to jump at money if they live in a dangerous neighborhood, right? I mean, and, and their, their life is a, at risk or they're entering a career that they feel is just going to burn them out. Right. I mean, um, so yeah, that, that, that's an interesting, interesting point. So I'll come back to that, but thanks for bringing that up, Vanessa. So teacher shortages in 2019, the economic policy Institute released a report. So this, I mean, we've known this for years, right? Cause you can figure out who's going, <laughs> teaching is one of those things that's easier to predict because you have to have a license in most places to teach. So, um, so you know, the, the students who are enrolling in these things and who's applying for licenses. So, um, yeah, so let's let's think about this. So the uh, the in 2019, the Economic Policy Institute had a report and they said, you know, at that time, um, 
teacher shortage, they were looking at 27, um, 2017 and 2018, that they estimated there were, the U.S. was short 110,000 teachers. So 2017, 2018. Um, then they projected all the way out to 2025. And they said, oh, at 2025, like it just continues to grow. Like it, you'll, we'll be short 200,000 teachers across the U.S. So almost double. Um, and basically, so the um, uh, people available to go into the classrooms outstrips the, 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 there's more demand than there's people to go into classrooms, right? So that's going on. So this isn't anything that wasn't predicted. And you can, right, see this at least four years into the future by looking at, you know, university programs and things like that. So, you know, I guess my point with that is I don't feel it's not like anybody can come and say, oh, my God, like, you know, next to us, the county next to us, our county seat, which is very wealthy. It's a growing area, one of the fastest growing in the country. Um, and, you know, they had 600 teaching positions open in that county um, as of two weeks ago, right, which was unheard of. Uh, because they pay, you know, very well and a, a, a very solid uh, benefit package and, and, you know, a lot of amenities in that area. And this was unheard of. This was never happening. But, um, but yeah, they, they were unable to, um, you know, fill a lot of these, these positions and have to, to get the year rolling um, without positions filled. So, um, but I, I look at this and say, well, if you knew this was coming down the, the pipe, like, where was this in our Safer Communities Act or, or just in any, any legislation, right, to either address this or if there's statewide legislation to address this with different state credits? I, I don't know, but it's not like this just snuck up on you, right? This didn't ambush you. You can't pretend or pretend, I guess, that suddenly this happened. Um, so, yeah. Now, what what also I think people were counting on was that the, you know, the the job market would stay tight. You know, that people would be going for the, the benefits here and, and teaching, and of course for the retirement. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing from a a benefits perspective is if you enter a district and teach for twenty five or thirty years, a public school district, um, you have a. a a pension, which, you know, will last, you'll, you'll have a, a monthly check for as long as you live. Right. Um, and combine that with social security and hopefully some other, other savings or, or a side gig and you'll probably be in, in pretty good shape. So again, I know this from being in the system. Um, so yeah, but, um, let me go over and, and hit the chat here. So thank you so much. Um, so let me, let me catch up a little, but uh, a little bit. Um, RJ, RJ is saying um, you can learn coding, making some money and not deal with the, the wokeness and, and the students. So um, you're, so that's, that's part of it, RJ, right? Is there are so many things out there that people could do right now that, that they can, they can pick from and that will pay them well. Um, and, you know, this is this is where we see even in my area, you know, retail and fast food at twenty to twenty five dollars an hour, and people are like, "Whoa!" Um, so it's it is a big difference. Um, 
Vanessa saying, bonus on what? My pay scale is maxed out at every public school and those charters must have higher. So um, schools won't typically post their scales. <laughs> right now, of course, they won't do that because they don't want people to to leverage that against them, right? And that's never really been public because they'll say, oh, it's on an individual basis when you look at your experience coming in. And, and then there's also some things in the, if you're a high shortage area, if you're a chemistry teacher, if you're a speech language pathologist, they can adjust and give you more pay. So, but yeah, there are, in, in my area, there are, you know, teachers who are, are well close to six figures, right? And I mean, if you're in Des Moines and they're offering 50,000 in, so you don't retire, I don't know what their top of, of the scale is exactly, but I mean, you're probably already at 70 um, or 80. I mean, if you're just into teaching plus now that, that 50,000, which I, I think would have to come out as like a stipend or something. I, I don't know. I haven't seen, I've read the articles that are linked out and, and stuff like that, but in, um, so let's um, take a, so Vanessa's saying, you know, pay me 80 grand a school year and then add 50K just to give me, um, to get me to switch locations. So that's another thing, Vanessa, it's a really good point. And one I wanted to underscore is if you think that, um, you know, a $50,000 bonus, that is, again, it's, it's very short sighted because people aren't going to move to a, largely an inner city or a rural area and set up, you know, buy a home, especially now, right? You know, the home prices of homes and, 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 you know, taking out a mortgage and, and, and taking that risk versus thinking, where do the, where do I really want to be? Like, where do I see a place that I really want to, to live? Or, you know, they might come into these areas and maybe live in a rental property for a year or two, get the experience, take the money and then, and then move on. So, um, Another part of, as, as you know, you've indicated, um, Vanessa, is you've got to lure people into your areas. And that's one thing when I talk about, I live next to our state capital, and they're kind of puzzled, like, right, you know, we're offering all of this money. And, you know, there's this, this is a really robust area, you know, um, and, and there's a lot for people. And I'm like, yeah, but you also have an entry-level home at $800,000. I mean, you... Who's going to go for that, right? And you, it, it's it's this barrier to to entry, right? I mean, you you can't you can't do that. So maybe you will have someone who will say, "Yeah, I'll take it." Like I'll drive in, and they're going to pay the price of gas. And winters here in Wisconsin, and maybe you know they'll live thirty miles away, and uh, you know somewhere where it's it's more affordable, but still, like it's. It's this trade-off, like, where do you go for the money? I mean, if you're going to do that, there's other things you could do. I mean, for, for teaching professions and, and uh, private schools or teach overseas. I mean, if you're just out there to kind of build up some money at the start so you can get a payment on a house and things like that to get your life started. So RJ is saying, thanks for, RJ, I haven't seen you in here before, so thanks for posting. All of this could be resolved by bringing back families, got an enforcement laws. Yeah, so RJ, RJ, is, RJ is looking at this and saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of root cause stuff, if we really drill down in this, that uh, that would probably help to solve this and a lot of things, right? So yeah, um, and, and that's that's the point. 
uh, you're right on. Uh, teachers have, have failed America. Um, but I mean, it's, I know people have that perspective. I, I work with some admin, uh, amazing aspiring administrators and I'll, I think teaching, you know, RJ and I, I think teaching it has become, if we think of a, of a huge ship, right? Think of a football field long ship that is, you know, like 120 years old. And when it, when it, you know, it was first built, it was pretty amazing. And then it got retrofitted and updated, but it's, it's now is, has entropy, right? There's all too many things are added on to it. There's all these barnacles that are on. It's not, you can't maneuver it anymore. And it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to like, you can't, I don't think you can just fix teaching. You have to like, just kind of adopt a new model. I mean, we're moving into meta. We're moving into, does it make sense to build a school, you know, population, a dense environment where you're going to have kids there five days a week? This whole thing, you know, of having to go K through 12, does that make sense? Or should you be able, you know, at 13, 14, 15 years old to get into, you know, whatever you want and start making money? Name, image, likeness, right? For years in the college ranks, in college athletics, remember the athletes never got paid a dime and now, you know, they get name and image likeness. Not saying that should happen in schools, but I'm saying, you know, there's these long held ways that we do things and suddenly they kind of tumble down. So I, I think this whole thing of, you know, kids staying till they're 18 in a school is going to go by the wayside. We've already seen sports kind of flex and, you know, I, I don't, what I'm saying by that is um, sports and schools like, you know, have now we have esports, we have things that are changing. So like, so it, it, some people go to school and you don't want, you know, four years of high school sports experience and that's not, not as big of a draw anymore. Um, but I, I, I think, I think we're in this time where this whole K-16 thing or K-16 meaning post-secondary, but K-12 is going to change. And, you know, one of the things, and I, I was talking to um, a friend of mine who, well, you know, Chad Elkins, Elkins CPA, and, and Chad uh, recently had on his show um, a cam girl who he uh, does her taxes. And, and Chad and I had talked about this during the, the pandemic of, I asked him, you know, what what is happening right now with, with um you know that you see where where people are doing doing better financially in the p pandemic and doing worse, right? And one thing he said is, if you can work one remotely, like as a therapist or something, you're doing better. But he also said people who are in the cam profession, like cam cam girls. I'm not saying that to be demeaning. I'm I'm saying it to be objective. Are are making huge amounts of money. So there's also this part of like between that and video gaming and I'm being, you know, I want to be a TikToker. I want to be, have, have a show and about, you know, camping and things like that. There are I'm not saying these are great professions, but we, I know people who do this like full time. I, I know three people that is their full time living and they do very well at it. And, and, um, and one of my friends was a teacher and he does outdoor shows where he hikes and he has now been doing that for four or five years. He has like Patreon people backing him and he left uh, teaching and does this, this full time. And I think he, he doesn't say exactly what he makes, but it is um, 
at least three times what he had made while he was teaching. And it is all G-rated stuff and stuff he wants to do, right? So um, he's getting advertisement off. And who would have thought like this would have been a, a thing? Um, and so so this whole thing too with, with teaching, imagine, so I was talking to a university counselor and I said, what's one of the hardest things right now for a university to get students back? And because I thought, is it the trust? Is it that a student, if they come in, they're like, I'm here, but I want to be here for the in-person experience. I don't want the school to go virtual and send me home, which happened to our friend Nick Shulander, who was on the show. If there's a pandemic, you know, something like that, I, I want the experience. I said, well, is that it? And they're like, yeah, not really. And I'm like, what is it? It's, and it's like, um, people are weighing whether they should, should, you know, do their, their YouTube, their TikTok, their video, whatever stuff, um, do that now and make money and then maybe go to school later. Right. And when you put the numbers up against each other, it, for a lot of people, it makes sense to try that now or esports, which is in colleges, the college I teach at now has an esports team. They, they built out this esports competitive area where there's like seats and big screens and, I mean, these things are happening now. So some of these could be name and image likeness. And um, so let's go back to like teacher shortages. What does this all mean is um, you're not, you're having fewer people one go into teaching, which we know, but you have a lot of competition. So that, that person could either choose, I'm going to go at it at my own is try to be a social influencer, right? Or YouTube influencer, which is pretty high scale to like get that to work. But if you're doing that at 18, 19, 17, 18, 19, 20, and it doesn't work, there's not a lot lost, right? You don't have a lot of sunk cost into that versus like if I'm paying to go to college for 20 or $30,000 a year versus if I'm working somewhere, um, you know, part-time and trying to get my YouTube thing. So, and, and you're probably learning a lot of marketing and technical skills that will apply to things that you'll do later on. So, um, so uh, let me go back here to the, the chat. So we have um, a good friend, Alpro Leventon, who's a bicyclist. So I appreciate that, buddy. I just love seeing the image of the bike. When I was out this week, um, as of yesterday, there's there's a honeysuckle field and. I didn't, know, I didn't know if it was plowed under or anything because it, it hadn't kind of bloomed until like yesterday. And oh, the, the smell of honeysuckle, there's nothing like it when you're out biking. Like I, I maybe it takes me five minutes to go through that. And it is, it is, I just wish I could like capture that and like bring a little bit of that out in January when it's minus 30 here and howling, howling winds and snow. And, um, but I, I recognize it. Like I'm, I'm so in tune when I go through there, just how special it is. Alpro Leventon is saying, I'm not a teacher, but I thought about getting a master's so I can adjunct community college. Yeah, so let's let's go there. Um, I, dun, 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 that award in the back, um, I was the uh, adjunct professor of the year at the university I teach at um, for the last 19 years. As an adjunct, I've, I've taught at different universities as an adjunct. So an adjunct is basically a part-time faculty member. Um, even though I have a PhD, I'm not there to teach a full load. Although as an adjunct, a few times I had like a full load, which I think was four courses a semester. But um, but 
adjunct teaching, and I should do a show just on this because I've taught for several universities and I've taught like maybe 150 courses over the years, like most of my built, but everything from statistics to, you know, the law classes, which I, which I teach now. But um, I love teaching at the university level and I love being an adjunct. I, I would love doing that full time, but I don't really, um, if that's that's not what I want to do, I don't want to teach full time right now at the university. But um, I I love being adjunct. And one thing, um, all pro limited, in maybe 150 classes that I instructed, I never had a class where I got done and I'm like, God, I'm glad that's done. I never felt that way ever about a class ever. And as far as you know, college students and and you know situations that might have you know you, you know get sticky, like a student's not attending and. Yeah, you know, they want extensions and stuff like that. You know, that is, that happens so rarely um, that, you know, it, it's just kind of one-off, you know, things. And the university has a big network to support you, right? Because they don't want that student to drop out um, yeah, because, you know, it impacts financial aid and other things. So like they have a team, you know, all these people that get involved. But um, I'll tell you, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I, you know, you're... I, I think it's a you're you're held in a a position of high respect. Um, you can customize things out. I think you can show your humor. Um, I I'm always learning. I'm learning from the people that I'm interacting with. Um, so I think I think it's worth it um, for you. And you know, and I would say check with your local your community college. And you can do some of this online. I teach um, two thirds in person, one third online. And you know, there's opportunities out there. And actually, we have a we have a um, technical college in our town, and I've never approached them to say because they have some some requisite courses of hey, like <laughs> I could come in and teach some of this stuff for you. But um, I only live a few you know a few blocks away. So um, I'll tell you, buddy. I anybody listening, um, if I if you have the opportunity to take a path and become an adjunct professor, I would do it. 100% down, I would endorse it. As, as far as as pay, you know, for a semester, um, you're going, depending upon what kind of, you know, college you get into. Now, there's no benefits in adjunct teaching. Um, usually about between 3,000 and maybe like 4,500 per class. And they will limit you to the number of classes you can teach, like at one university, like maybe to four, because otherwise then they would have to like movie up the full time or something, but um, I'll tell you, I I definitely think as a as something to do as on the side that's very professional and builds your skill set. Um, and in addition to that, it's it's something you know you can do over time. New classes get introduced. You can you can um, inquire if um, you know you'd be able to teach some of those. So. Anyway, I, I'll focus on that just um, in one in one podcast because it's been such a positive experience for me um, and the people I've, I've gotten to know, right, the, the, the stuff that I, I, I get to develop. Uh, I feel like I really get to be myself when I'm teaching at the university level. Um, so, and since... Uh, this is School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety America. Here's a paperback. This is required in one of my classes. It's $20, so I'm not out there. <laughs> There's some universities 
I'll, I remember like buying books when I was a grad student and stuff, you know, like $300 book by the, you know, instructor and this was back before inflation. No, $20, right? Right here. And this book is also in the pin tweet as an audiobook. I narrated it, came out August 1st, and you can get it on uh, Downpour for $7.99. You can go on Audible and get it. I think they price like $20. I don't control what Audible, um, but you can get it for $7.99 as the pin tweet where I narrated this book. Um, so yeah, this is one of my textbooks. So I took it and went through and how we would use it in class and how it matches standards and so it's also pretty cool, like when your students are like, oh my God, like our instructor wrote the book. Here's Velocity of Information. This is not a textbook, but uh, this book is is in libraries all over the world. Velocity of Information released in April, also in paperback ebook. This will be out in audiobook April 12th, 2023. Kind of a weird day, right? By contract, the audiobook had to come out one year after the print version of the book. Um, this is in Squamish, British Columbia, in their library, along with School of Bears. But um, if you haven't, it, Velocity of Information is basically, here's the year 2020, everything that went down, and it was written within 2020. So it's um, really strong in semantics, word meaning. What did essential mean? What did non-essential mean? And, and uh, bur um, wet ball, burnout. Now, I interviewed 10 people. Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief, Nikolai Razavayu, who biked um, in Kiev a day after Chernobyl. Um, Linda Stone, um, a former IBM executive who worked on um, attention and, and attention theory. So just an awesome, awesome book, Philosophy of Information and School of Heirs, uh, both. If you're a parent or you know a parent or a teacher, right, School of Heirs is definitely an important read um, to understand how schools approach school safety because it is all over the place. And the biggest thing we should be doing right now for school safety is, is discretion. Who has discretion to make decisions? Who has discretion to activate the intruder alarm or the fire alarm or to use the AED or to use the fire extinguisher, right? Um, so it's pretty crazy. You can go through, and I do this with my administrators. We do this as an activity. And I said, you know, I want you to do this. I want you to, at your next staff meeting, you know, we have like two weeks between classes. Um, I want you to give post-it notes to the teachers. And I want you to say, or have a principal do it. And I, and I need a photo of this. I want you to bring in um, a, a photo so we can bring it up on screen. And to have people say, you know, okay, when the meeting is done and you're going back to your classroom, I want you to put this post-it note on the... AED or the fire extinguisher that is between is closest to your room, right? I, I want you to do that. And people can teach in the same place for 10 years and, and they'll be like, I, I have no idea where these things are until they like are walking up and down the hallway. Oh, like there's the fire extinguisher or there's the AED. So it's this awareness of your assets. So I have them do that. And then I, I say, take a picture of it and you know email it to me. And we're going to compile these, and then I'm going to have you, you know, tell me about this process during class. But it's a, it's a discretion. So we don't do stuff like that. We don't teach discretion. And also, discretion isn't just teachers. It's like if I'm a high school student and somebody's on campus who's threatening, right? Do I have the ability to run a lockdown? Can I get that process started, or do I have to like you know, weave through and find a teacher or an adult or something? So. You know, who has the discretion to pull a fire alarm? We don't ask those questions, right? <laughs> That's where a school of heirs gets in and 
and ask those questions. Like you got to figure these things out. So by the way, the velocity of information is up for a major award. Yeah, um, and and that I'm saying um, actually in a humble tone, it is up for a major award. It's it's a uh, being considered for the SI Hayakawa Book Prize um, it, from the Institute of General Semantics. Semantics is word meaning also what's called time binding. Time binding is uh, having to do with words that describe a particular moment in time. So like. Um, Essential and non-essential, if people think of those terms, they're going to think of the pandemic, right? That moment in time, that's time binding that language. Safer home, they're gonna think of the pandemic. So I, I did a lot of time binding in this this book. And uh, so it has been nominated by, by multiple uh, people and the award will be decided in December. And then the award will be given in New York City in October, along with a $1,000 cash prize. Uh, but it is, it's a very coveted award. People say, what? That's a Hayakawa. But, you know, um, in looking it, it up, it is, you can see some of the, the previous, you know, uh, winners of the prize. It's, it's a pretty, it's pretty amazing. So anyway, I'm, I'm hopeful that the philosophy of information um, receives that. We'll see what happens. So let's go. Um, what areas are affected the most for teacher shortage? Well, it's probably pretty obvious, right? The if if you're in a rural school or a high poverty school, and both those can be the same, but um, rural schools people it's hard because one if it's if it's two people, both of them are trying to find something to do there, right? And now I guess you could do remote work, so maybe that opens things up a little bit, but still, rural areas for younger people especially don't hold the appeal of options, right? Of of um, you know sports teams and movie theaters and malls and you know stuff like that. I, although I guess some of that is kind of changing as more of that goes online. But you know rural rural areas just again um, it's always always been harder to recruit people that go to rural areas. Typically already have that mindset if they want to go there, uh, they're okay if the the power goes out you know for for twenty four hours and they have to run their their generator right. Um, they're okay if you know they run out of of uh, milk and they have to drive seven miles to the next store to get it. Um, they're, they're taking that trade off, knowing that you know when they're out, there's maybe two, three other people on the streets. And they're not having to sit and wait thirty minutes to go seven miles in a city to to work. So that's obvious. Um, they also so these locations also have high turnover, right? So teachers will start out. So these rural districts, let's think about this as teacher bonus. So you're a small district, rural district, and you're like, we're going to give a $30,000 bonus if you stay here two years and people come in and they stay and then they leave. So then you're stuck with having to pay new people to come in, right? Another bonus. Like you're only going to rent them for so long. They're not going to set up there um, necessarily. So that's, you know, that's part of this, right? And so Per universities.com, teacher shortages are reported across the U.S. Yeah, Nevada students started school on August 8th, 10 days ago, um, with a shortage of over 1,400 teachers. Nevada in the state, 1,400 teachers down to start the year. Ouch. Man, that is, um, I mean, that is crazy to, to do that. Um so the the five states, the top five states for teacher shortages, California, which could be pretty predictable, right? 
a Nevada, Washington, Arizona, and Hawaii. But then if you go down like North Dakota, South Dakota, so the rural, I mean, and it just kind of moves all over. But um, yeah, so big teacher shortage. And again, the Safer Communities Bill, which was passed into law just in the last couple of weeks here, has a billion dollars for school for mental health and mental health providers. But at the same time, has zero dollars for teachers. So wouldn't you make an argument of saying, you know, our school has been running short on teachers. We've had class sizes of 40 students. We have one school counselor split across three buildings. We have one nurse per thousand kids in the district. Like um, if we had these positions bolstered, then student mental health would improve because student needs would be being met. One of the things that there's, you know, these studies, if you have someone who meets with you, right? When I interviewed Dr. David Mays for the philosophy of information, there's a chapter in there. And, and one of the things he talked about is, you know, it's hard to look at the impact of a of mental health therapy from the pers perspective of if you if you have a control group where you have a therapist a therapist meeting with somebody, right, and it's setting goals and whatever, maybe this person is anxious or depressed, or, and you have another group where somebody is just meeting with them, but they're not a therapist or whatever, and they're they're not meeting to do any therapy, they're just like talking with them what's your day, you know, what do you got going on for the future? Just like to be there, a, a friend basically, right? Not, But there's no therapy going on in this other group. There's just someone to be with them. Like both groups make gains. Like having somebody show an interest in you makes you feel more positive about yourself and and these rating scales and stuff, people. It's, it, but that's just having somebody showing interest in them. So the therapy side, there's gains. Maybe there's more gains, but both sides make gains, right? So so part of this is is I think it's the elephant in the room, right? Like you're saying, oh, we're gonna we're, we're putting a billion, a billion dollars into mental health providers. And at the same time, we're our shortage of teachers is is crazy. Um so it's like how do you how do you how do you improve mental health when the rest of the, the school staffing is chaotic? So I don't think it makes sense. But it's what people want to hear, right? Especially after um, you know Uvalde, um, people want to hear, "Hey, we're putting more mental health into schools because somehow they've associated mental health with school safety." And I don't think you can can neatly draw that that line. Um, so, other strategies to boost the appeal of of teaching. So, in in um, in some schools. In the U U.S., this is pretty big in the U.K. right now, but some schools in the U.S. are trimming the work week to four days. Happened to a district near me. They're saying, yeah, so teachers, right? So if you're a teacher, like there's some appeal in this of saying or or that, you know, we that you'll have a four-day work week. Um, there's some questions with this, though. Like in the pandemic, you could do it because the everything the department of ed and your state departments of ed were saying you know the the student minutes that you're supposed to meet we're going to relax those like you have to have so many minutes of education students receive and like some schools remember back in april of 2020 they just shut down for good they're like we're done <laughs> we can't do the remote thing and whatever we're we're done we'll see where things are at in fall and those minutes never got made up and i 
It's called compensatory education. It's not part of the law. It's not part of education law. It's not part of special ed law. And it's really weakly defined through case study or, or case law. So I talked about that. I have an article um, that's coming out on that. And then I, I talked to my students in my classes about that. Of how, how are you making up like the time that kids lost? They're like, not really doing it. And no one's really holding them to it, right? I was researching that this week of saying, what are the consequences for all this missed time for kids or shortened days? And, and there really isn't any. There aren't lawsuits coming out either. That's amazing. I thought there'd be a lot of lawsuits about lost instructional time for students. And it's not happening twofold. One is parents just aren't bringing them up because they're like, well, what am I going to do? Like my kid's in school full-time now. So if I want like education to be made up, then what they're going to stay there till seven at night, I mean, or go to school on weekends. Like there's some logistics in here that just don't make sense. So that's part of it of saying, you know, why these, why these kids aren't going to, um, why they're not doing this. The other part is that lawyers aren't dealing with this. I mean, everyone's, it's a shortage. Court system's really slow right, right now. So lawyers are like, do you really want to, you know, fight this battle and pay this cost? And and um, so so you don't see advocacy groups and lawyers taking this on. So because of that, because of shortening the school week during COVID, during the pandemic, and then when the pandemic was over, I guess, which I would say largely last year was was normal normal face to face for a lot of schools. Um, there wasn't this this big push to make up these minutes, this lost time. So now you can see schools are like, okay, like let's do the short, shortened week. So you do have an obligation in your state laws for a certain number of minutes that kids receive, which comes out to like five days a week, you know, um, especially for students with disabilities, the educate individuals with disability education act, right? If you have an IEP and your student is supposed to re receive 60 minutes of speech therapy per week, but now if the school's only in session four days a week and the speech therapist isn't there, you know, they, have, they don't have school on Wednesday or Friday or whatever. And they're saying, oh, we, we're going to provide 40 minutes instead of 60. That's a big thing in federal law, but it's also, there aren't any teeth to that, to that right now. These cases aren't coming up. I scoured for my fall special ed law class. And what I did find is people like me asking like, why isn't this a bigger deal? But uh, the cases aren't there. So What's happening is schools are trying to recruit people by saying, hey, we'll do four days, shorten schedule. We're going to cut down school year, you know, instead of 180 contact days with students, 155, 160. How's that sound? Um, there's a Texas rural schools are implementing a four day work week to alleviate the teacher shortage. So um, Houston, Texas currently has 2,200 teaching vacancies. That was as of a couple days ago for their start of school, 2,200 teaching vacancies. So they pull, you know, people from the administrative ranks into schools to, to fill some of that combined classes and things. But that's the thing, right? You have all this, this money coming in for mental health providers while you don't have these teaching positions filled. So, and if you're a mental health provider, I mean, you're not, you're, you're, you're not having to do all of this pro professional development and all of these, these other you know, if I'm a mental health provider at a school, I'm not having to go out and monitor the lunchroom. That's not assigned as a duty. I'm not going out and having playground duty and stuff like that. So, um, so those positions have some some different appeal that traditional teaching doesn't. Florida is doing something um, innovative in recruiting military veterans to teach without a license. So 
this is, there's two things that happen when there's a shortage, right? You increase pay to get people in or you relax the standards to get people in, right? One of those two. Now, both of those can happen at the same time, which is really weird because again, 15 years ago, you know, when you were coming in to be a teacher, you know, you're supposed to be this master level teacher. I mean, they had all of these things like from the Fed and, you know, the state and all these, you gotta have a portfolio. And God, when I was teaching, I had to um, rank all my students or work for their portfolio, which it would turn into the state, which no one would look at anyway. But, um, but what you have now is you have an increase in pay and a decrease in barrier to entry. I'm not saying that these people can't be effective teachers, not saying that at all. Um, but let's be clear about what's happening here is if, you know, we go back 10 years, you had to be, have this license as a teacher every five years, you had to, you know, get it recertified and you might have to take three, four courses, you know, graduate courses and, and to show that you're professional, all it, and that's all out the window. Um, so, the teachers in Polk County also hired internet um, 60 international teachers. And we're seeing that more around here too of international teachers being brought in. I don't know. I don't know how that works long-term. Like, I don't know how the housing works for that. If the district is, is working with the community to, to, to do that. I, I don't know. I don't, again, doesn't seem like a long-term solution, but um, some, t some schools are paying relocation expenses. So, so let's, I'm going to talk about the free agency in, in school, um, in education. So free, who would have thought those would go together? But first, let's go back to the chat. Um, Andrew is saying, teachers aren't failing. The system is working perfectly as designed. And Vanessa is saying, anyone, anyone here a teacher? So um, Zippy is saying, the school system is a joke. The teachers are just like cops and army. They're doing what they can. Uh, with the chaos Aaron. Um, and Zippy, I'll say the chaos is real, right? When um, the, the discipline in schools in 2014, the Obama administration and the Department of Education sent out a letter to schools. I was an administrator at this time. They sent out a letter to schools, a dear colleague letter, 2014, saying, you're suspending too many students. And because student suspensions get reported to the state and to the Fed, Office of Civil Rights, right? Um, you need to find other ways to address discipline. So what they were really saying is, we're not going to tell you how to do this. You just need to lower your suspension numbers. And schools did it. Like suspension numbers dropped in some places 50% or more. But schools aren't um, any, the, the discipline instants are still happening, right? The school violence is still there. The out of controlness is, is still very much there. I wrote an article called, it's abeyance agreements, A-B-E-Y-A-N-C, abeyance agreements. It'll be in Phi Delta Kappen before the end of the year. It's like an 8,000 word article. It's like the big feature centerpiece. Um, and I wrote it this summer basically of saying, you know, when in 2014, right? This whole thing too with education, discipline in schools basically ended after that dear colleague letter went out in 2014. It basically ended um, because if schools suspend students, one, they get a lot of kickback from parents and advocate advocacy groups to just jump into this. And the other is the state will say, hey, you know, you've suspended 
too many students, right? Um, and you can have consequences, profession, professional improvement plan for your district, your state report card. This can be noted as parents shop for districts and open enrollment. They look and say, oh, like this district has whatever suspension rate and this district has this. Now what's going on behind the doors and those districts could be identical. One district is not reporting suspensions. They're using what's called abeyance agreements if they're using anything at all, but probably abeyance agreements. An abeyance agreement is not part of, of, of education law. I have a, a show I did on on safetyphd.com here, so you can go back and type in abeyance agreement. Let me just type it. So you're like, abeyance? How do you... I didn't even know what this was, but you you also hear this um, called like a pre-expulsion. And uh, if you go to Tucson area school district, or Tucson school district, they have a really detailed... Here's what our abeyance agreement is. It's really, it's part of the law which shouldn't even exist because it's basically illegal. It's taking away your right for due process as a student. But um, so basically, let's say a, a kid vandalizes a school or threatens someone and the school says, okay, um, instead of a consequence, right, of a suspension um, or a change of placement for that student or whatever, which is reportable, um, we have a plan here, parent is one page long. Um, your child will follow the rules for the next 90 days. And if they do, we'll just forget this event, right? It'll be gone. Um, and it does, it vanishes as a record. It's not out there. You can do an open records request. An attorney um, from a university who's writing, a, working on a legal um, piece on this, legal brief on this. Uh, so legal brief is basically like analyzing part of the law um, independently of saying, here's like a flaw in the loss and it, it can be considered down the road, but you're not like looking at one case or something, but, um, but they're, they're requesting abeyance agreements. How many students broke discipline rules in schools and basically have these suspended suspensions that never showed up anywhere. And so the schools won't report the data because they're like, well, it doesn't technically exist. It, it, it vanished like 90 days after the student was um, beyond that point. So, and that, so teachers know this though, right? So if you're into teaching, um, you know, you've done your student teaching or you're a couple of years into teaching, uh, what the discipline, you know, has, is, is not good. And if you've been in teaching since prior to 2014, you know, that discipline following the dear colleague letter 2014 substantially fell off a cliff in schools. Um, and again, schools, it becomes a, a huge negative for schools to what I would say authentically uh, discipline. Um, so, but, well, let's go. Um, Vanessa saying, do what is required to get there. Um, well, I gotta, I gotta catch up here. Sorry about that. So, um, Finesse is saying, my car is old, but I replace items in it often. Most anything mechanical, et cetera, needs attention. So what Vanessa is addressing there, right, is it's entropy of systems, right? Systems, all systems tend to fall apart over time. When I talked to um, Robert Travis in my book, Philosophy of Information, the crab boat guy, right? And he talked about, you know, the thing, the boat would always ice, accumulate ice. So every, you know, 16 hours or whatever, you, you had to go out with sledgehammers and baseball bats and pound the ice off of 
the boat because otherwise it could lose buoyancy in a, in a ship, uh, a, a crab boat um, sank that way like three, four years ago, it just got too heavy and a wave came and just took it down like too much ice on it. All these systems entropy, you know, talk about the fire department, right? The truck, the, the new truck replaced the truck from 1986 where the thing was just falling apart. You know, you're, you're moving a, a multi-ton piece of equipment around for years and years and things just work loose and things start to rust out and all these other stuff. You know, switches go bad and entropy of systems. Um, so we have that in schools. And when you have this constant turnover of people coming in and out, it's hard to address entropy too because people aren't there long enough to kind of make these systems change. Administrators stay about two years, um, two to three years for a superintendent or a principal, and then they they move on. So wrote about that in School of Airs. So what if we had free agency widespread across public schools? Um, basically, teachers were free agents, which I think has happened. I don't think everybody realizes this has happened yet, but I think it's happened. Um, right now, if you are a teacher, you're a tech ed teacher, chemistry, foreign languages, um, speech language, pathology, occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, those areas, you can come in and you are negotiating directly with human resources, right? Like there's, there, they are not, or if they do, if they, if they pull out a schedule and they say, here's where you're at and you say, here's where, I, here's where you need to put me for me to be here. I need this plus $25,000 plus this. And most of these districts are seriously trying to make that work or some compromise, or they, they just accept it. And again, I hear it now for the first time ever from my superintendents of saying, yeah, I mean, if somebody comes in and we have a high need area and, you know, we've gotten one application for that, we've posted in all 50 states and in, in international sites and stuff like that. Do you, what does it take? To you, you'd have to cancel those class sections. Maybe you lose an entire program because you don't have a tech ed, you know, teacher. So you lose that or CAD or, or if you don't have a speech language pathologist, right? You you have this area where you're non-compliant with your IEPs, with your federal law, and you can get dinged and have lawsuits, you know, because of that. Um, so this this is happening. People are coming in and they're negotiating. I don't think teachers are good negotiators because they've. Most teachers have had a union that does negotiating for them. That kind of has changed in some areas. Uh, Wisconsin in 2011 um, the, lost a lot of the, the union negotiation, especially for salary. But for the most part, um, you know, teachers just aren't used to this. This isn't their style. Maybe like new teachers are, but, you know, teachers in general. So I think we're also going to have um, teachers are going to to someone is going to come in and say, listen, I will, I'll be your agent. Um, he, here's okay. Like what's your, where do you want to work? Like as a new teacher, especially like if you can move anywhere, if you're not really bound. Um, and someone said, you know, okay, if you agree to go to this district for three years, like they will give you a $55,000 bonus and pay like relocation. And they'll give you a $10,000 stipend at the, the GM dealership, you know, so you can get a brand new, you know, Chevy Cruze or whatever it is, not for 10,000, but um, I think you'll see that where you'll have these stipends where you can buy things from the community. So that at least the taxpayers think the money is coming back into the community for these bonuses. Um, I think that's going to happen. 
I think this will happen in any time, any moment someone is going to come up and, and say, Hey, like contact me, you know, I, and what you will owe me then as a headhunter and superintendents already do this superintendents in schools typically pay an agency or multiple agencies, five, $10,000. And that agency represents them. And it's usually the same agency on the back end that a school district is hiring to look for a superintendent. And they're saying, oh, by the way, like we have, we have some candidates and here's one. So at least they're saying, we'll get you an interview. Like you'll be one of the three interviewed. So that, that's been around for like at least five years. The superintendency has really become a, a agent driven area. Um, but I think you're going to see this for, for at least some of the teaching positions. And would, I mean, would it work? I think it would. I mean, if you had someone who was out there and, and was saying, you know, Hey, like I'm going to monitor these districts across the country. What do you want? Like, are you going to, do you want to be hiking outdoors? Does it not matter? Um, and big city, small city and, and things, time frame and whatever, and almost customize it out. And then, you know, they might see a posting in a district, right. And go to the district as the agent and say, I've got somebody, you know, they've got two years of experience and whatever they're fully licensed or, you know, and if, if you want to, you know, interview them and whatever, and if it does work out where they, they take the job, then right. The, the headhunter gets, you know, whatever payment. $5,000, $10,000. But, you know, I I think that's going to happen. I think 100% that's going to happen. Whether it's going to be widespread, I don't think so. But think a sports agent. I think that type of thing will will happen. Um, and, yeah, so somewhere you'll come back and you'll be, hey, heard about it. So that's it. S teachers are going to, to start to be contacted. Now, one thing I, I get contacted on a pretty regular basis by people right who try to recruit me in, um, and the bonuses and, and the packages right are, are getting higher. But they know there's they can only put so much out there because you're going to come and you're going to ask them for I want this as additional money. I want additional money into my state retirement. I want um, more days off or whatever. And it was unheard of right three four years ago that schools would accommodate this. Now they have to. Because if it's a matter of you taking the job for school that starts next week or them having to keep it posted when they've had it posted for four months, they've interviewed one person who wasn't remotely qualified, they're taking you. And that HR person and that superintendent, they're going to sit down with the board of education and say, listen, this is this is where things are at. We, we can have somebody here, um, but it's going to take this. And if we don't have them here, we might have to cancel these sections. And then, then also like kids need so many sections of whatever in high school, you know, math to, to graduate and they're not going to have it. We're going to have to have them do it like remote learning math and, and uh, parents aren't going to want that. So they'll open and roll their kids out. And then we lose money because headcounts generate dollars for schools. So it just spirals. But, you know, with my background, I've thought about this a little bit. So my background is speech language pathology before administration. So I still hold my speech language, um, my 3C certificate of clinical competence. Um, and I hold my state license in Wisconsin. I also hold it in California. And if I were to go out this week, right, and say, I want to work this upcoming year for a district, right? If that was if that was my, and by a fly swatter. So um, I would say 
I would I would say I would be able to negotiate on a school district contract hundred and if it was Wisconsin a hundred to hundred and ten thousand, um, and if I was doing California maybe one fifty to one eighty. I'm saying that's on a school contract hundred and eighty days. Like and I might be able and I might be able to get some things thrown in there, you know, like additional payments into state retirement or something like that. But I would say that would, that would really be, and within a couple of days, like that would be, that would be done like that, that deal would be sealed. Um, so with a full benefit package to go, to go with that. So that's where things are at. Um, re retirement um, packages have lost their appeal. Let me get into that. Um, uh, obeyance agreement. My goodness, Andrew. Wow. Our friend Bolo, thanks Bolo for keeping up the watch hours, appreciate it. Discipline is defined in two realities. One is within, one is without. If you need discipline, in my opinion, pain is the best educator. No consequences promotes less discipline. So, all right, that's uh, from Bolo. And, you know, I think what, it, again, what I see is when we don't have consequences, um, then there, there is, it really blurs the lines of, of right, what, what's, what can I get away with and what can't I get away with? Um, and we, we need to superimpose those, those um, I think, in the formative years of kids, you know, in, into that system. And so let's, um, retirement packages. So, but before, before we do that, hang with me. Um, we're going to do a little pause for the cause here, a little commercial break, and I'll be right, be right back.
Hey everyone, we are back. So this is a great show. Enjoying this one very, very, very much. Um, so, all right. So we're talking about teacher, right? There's a big shortfall, <laughs> not enough teachers, right? And so uh, you can do you can do one of two things usually. One is you can lower the barrier of entry. So you can say, oh, you don't need a teaching degree if you have previous experience in another field, or if you're retired or out of the military, you can come over and be a teacher, right? Which we wouldn't probably think about doing for any other field. But um, there's also this thing I wanted to mention, you know, like, oh, we'll bring in the National Guard to teach. Yeah, but the National Guard, like there was one guy who came in to teach and he was actually a teacher. So they took him from his teaching job to come in and then to teach at a different school. It's really weird. So you're always taking people from somewhere if you're doing the National Guard swap. So that's not a long-term solution. But yeah, we can lower the barrier to entry which in some cases might make sense, right? Um, I don't think you have to go through all this crazy, you know, um, uh, certifications, all this stuff for for school, what it is today versus what it was, you know, when I was going through in the 90s. But Or you can raise pay, um, but usually you don't have those happen at the same time. Now you've got them happening. And we, what we talked about already in the show, we talked about if you... If you know why, so you put fifty thousand dollars to work one year in the in the Moines school district, and you're like, you know, and, and these are for people who are going to retire out of there. So everybody probably live in Des Moines, like they, you know, they're already set up, and it's just making a decision. Yeah, I'll come back for fifty a bonus of fifty thousand for a year, and they're not doing it. So you know, you this whole thing where you can put these bonuses and this this pay out there and recruit people, other industries are doing that and people just don't want to come into the system. We talked about why some of that is happening. I think one is, um, you know, the the Obama to your colleague letter. And just like, you know, in, in schools for a while, you know, again, they're going through this thing of your classroom, like how your classroom tests out on the WKC, different exams, right? Will always be linked to you, and, and people will be able to search you publicly and find how you're, you know. So, if out of a four, you know, your students perform the three point one, and all these things are completely out of your control, and all these variables. But they wanted to do this. I don't know if it was to 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 try to put this different spin on prestige of of the the industry of of teaching. I don't know what it was. It was it was not handled well, and now teachers are definitely contributed to this massive two three hundred thousand dollar shortage um so let's talk about retirement packages one of the ways schools um recruited people this is pretty uh this it was a robust um, state pension so and schools would add to that they would say this was up until maybe 10 years ago so when i went into teaching here's what they would do they would say, we contribute, so whatever your starting salary is, 7% of that we put into the state retirement for you, which is kind of like a 401k, but it's a state pension plan. And then out of your salary, you put 7%. So it's a one-to-one -one match. You can not you can put in more, but we won't match beyond that. But that'd be a pretty good setup. Like after what they do is they have a formula and say, hey, if you teach here by the time at 55, if you retire with 30 years experience, you will get... Your, your three highest years of salary will be averaged and you'll get, you know, 40% of that for the rest of your life. 
again, which isn't a bad deal. I mean, it's a, it's a, and you don't have to do anything. We'll manage everything for you. There'll be no management fees. There'll be like this, all these things. All you got to do is come to work, right? We got all the retirement stuff. And if you move to a different school, right, it's still the same package, right? So you're not going to lose out. That's part of it where if you don't like this school district or for some reason you move to another school district in the state, you'll just continue in the same retirement system. So that, that was a big pitch. And then they would say, when you retire from the district, we'll also give you three or five years where you can be on our health insurance. And they will get, they'll, or they'll give you a lump sum payment or they'll give you like your last year, like double your last year's salary. So I, I know when I was, you know, I, I didn't retire. Um, I'm younger than 55. I left before technical retirement age. Um, but I, I would have had, a, you know, a, a basically like a one-year salary that would have been paid out to me upon if I was 55 and had submitted all my retirement stuff. So these things are all kind of gone right now. Um, schools aren't, well, what, let me fix that. Schools aren't offering to pay like your health insurance between necessarily like if you retire at 55 until 65 or, or 60 to 65. Um, that's kind of gone out with um, the last couple of years. But the other part is if you're sitting down with a young person, or let's say I say young person, like somebody under 40, and you're saying, hey, like if you do this and you're with us for 20 or 25 years, like you'll have they're like, I don't care. I, I have no idea what's going to happen in 20 to 25 years. And will the system even be around? Will Social Security be around? Like in the last three years, we've had a pandemic, we've had civil unrest, I had to stay at my home, we had inflation, um, you know, and so they'll be like, what, I mean, they're, they're going to look at you and say, you're, you're going to promise me this stuff 20, 30 years from now. And I'm just trying to get to you next week, right? I'm just, I want money in my pocket now. I don't, I don't want the promise. Um, this isn't, you know, going to work in 1950 and I'm going to stay with the company until, you know, I retire at 62, you know, like where I, I'm not too far from, there was a very large paper mill, which was closed down and sold. And, and, uh, it was a family paper mill, you know, it started in like the 1880s and yeah, the Mead family, George Mead, and actually did a lot of philanthropy for the, the city and the area. And that's not where I live. It's not too far away, but, um, massive paper mill. And people would go there like right out, right out of high school or whatever and get a job and they'd work there for 30, 40 years and retire. Have a great pension all it. And then the place is shut down, right? It's gone. So like anyone looking at this and all the changes that have happened in education of, you know, now remote learning and, and schools not being in person and, and, you know, this stuff. And there's, you can't sell that. No one is going to, sit there and say, oh yeah. Um, now, if you re if you restructured this and said, we will give you, um, you know, let's hypothetically say, we will give you a $10,000, a payment for a $10,000 I bond or a savings bond or into a Roth IRA that you own right into your own account will make a payment. There's another part here, you have to have vesting. I think the vesting is like five years that was usually never a problem in schools because people always worked five years if you got a school job or, you know, at some point you'd accumulate your five years and be able to get at least a very small pension. 
But now, like, again, if you're approaching this as kind of a first job or, again, you're maybe under 35, 40 years old and it's like, well, you know, you got to be with it five years to get any of the money we put in back out. Otherwise, you just get the money that you you took out. Um, so, you know, investing. And, but this this model doesn't work. And beside, besides that, this um, this to try to convince people and the HR people still do it. And I just read an article by the National Education Association and you know a couple others with you know, HR folks who are so out of touch anyway with things in schools. But they're saying, you know, the fact St. Louis HR folks said, you know, we talked to our teachers and only 10 percent of them knew that, you know, we have the state retirement, which I don't know how true that is. But or like how it gets contributed and what it means to them and stuff. And so we so really the problem is we have a great retirement, but they don't know about it. I'm like, oh, maybe. I mean, maybe that's part of it. But you cannot approach teachers today and say, here's this retirement plan that we, we're going to have for you, which you won't be able to touch until 30 years from now. But when you do touch it 30 years from now, it'll lay a golden egg for you every month, right? Until the day you die. Um, people are like, again, I, you know, I've been th the last three years, right? If I go back, you know, 10 years, I mean, a housing crash and this and GM going bankrupt and, you know, Lehman Brothers and, and you know, again, pandemic and riots and inflation and housing prices going crazy. I mean, people are like, I think it's this, it's called crowd in behavior. I, I wrote about it in Velocity of Information, but people are wanting to keep a lot of control. The locus of control is very close. It's very, very difficult to plan out more than a year, maybe right now. So the way that retirement, retirement being, so this is what's happening is, so the money isn't bringing people in and into education, right? Um, the bonuses, those types of things. Um, so the HR people are saying, and the unions are saying, well, we the retirement is great and it really is like if you can make it to the end um but they're saying you know we don't educate people well enough about that so we need to go on a campaign of educating people about retirement you're going to get these excellent retirement benefits but again that is this thing of people don't care right you could tell somebody i believe you could tell somebody today you know we're going to hire you and 30 years from now you know, or you retire at 55 and you've got in 25 years in education in our state, we will give you a check for $2 million or $3 million, right? I mean, it's all of inflation adjusted, but we'll give you a one out check, right? And people be like, um, no. I mean, it's kind of like a lottery option. I, it'd be kind of interesting. Like if you, if you had a study where you had people and said, we promise you, like that we will give you a check for $3 million and maybe after taxes, right? On the day you retire after you're like 55, if you've done, if you put in 25 years, um, or if you say, well, instead of that, we will give you, um, for the next three years, we'll give you $20,000 a year more. So you have 60,000 versus like 3 million. What would you do? And, so it'd be interesting because I think there'd be a number of people over here in the $60,000 camp. It'd be like, well, I've got it right now. This is happening. I don't know what inflation will happen down. I don't know if the dollar be devalued. I don't know if there'll be a digital dollar. How this will impact me. And if I'm getting that, it's likely that that's not going to go away, that 
$20,000 will continue and I can maybe negotiate for more, right? Um, but it's right now I can have it. So this whole thing of like these delayed packages, these, these post-retirement benefit packages, um, they're outdated. They don't mean anything to people anymore unless you're kind of close to that. But then it's really a weird thing too. I mean, if you're coming into education from another field and you're 45 years old and they're like, well, you got to have really like 15 years to make it pay in the state retirement. So you get at least something that you could combine with social security and kind of live on. People are like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, so there's a sweet spot too, where you really got to sell it to people from the time they first get their teaching license to maybe when they're 35. And if you haven't sold it by then, the pension thing isn't really going to, to work. Um, so, and again, I, I mean, think of everything that we've gone through one day, you're, you're wake up, you're essential or non-essential. And, uh, I, I just, there's so much uncertainty. So again, I, my point is this, this is now the, um, the approach where the unions and um, even the financial people in the, the state that run these programs, are they're shifting in saying, oh, the reason we don't have teachers or a big reason is we're not educating them about their retirement benefits. And if they knew about that, how much better it is than private sector, I guess, or how this is really largely guaranteed, which I would say to some extent that's accurate to not a full extent, right? I know people in Illinois, friends of mine, who receive letters of saying, when you retire, you're guaranteed, you know, 0.875% of what you initially were guaranteed. But um, this doesn't work. This is the generation that is taking their lunch break and, you know, from whatever job they're doing and they're trading stocks on Robinhood, right? They, they are looking to the next day or maybe the next year, it's still a crowd in behavior. These are not people who are planning years and years and years out. And these are people who expect just expect that they will work in 20 different places or more before they retire. Maybe part of that's going to be an entrepreneurial type thing. So um, retirement packages have lost all appeal. I completely believe that, especially, you know, trying to convince young people to say 30 years from now. After I mean, look at all the promises we've kind of broken to the you know, younger generation already and, and what they've gone through the last three years. So, the point there is, this is where the pivot is happening right now. You will see articles in your local newspapers. You'll see things on TV and all that. And people say, you're going to see the swing around to the retirement package. Won't make a look of difference. Now, I, I love the movie Moneyball with uh, about the Oakland A's, Jonah Hill, Brad Pitt, one of my favorite movies. And I believe in education right now, we are hitting the Moneyball um framework, right? By the way, subscribe, tell your friends if you're new. And uh, we've been at 1,190 subscribers here for about three years, give or take two. Um, hit the thumbs up. But um, there'll be a full blog post coming out at Safety PhD probably by Sunday, Monday night. It's basically all written, but I have to um, got some other things cooking. So Moneyball. So what was Moneyball? So um, the Oakland athletics i say this as i have to look it up on the other screen here so never did add the fourth screen which i don't know so in in 2003 the oakland athletics um 
Billy Bean was the manager. And the Oakland Athletics had only so much money to compete. It was, you know, so all these major league teams, you know, Yankees, a ton of money and whatever, but, you know, the Oakland Athletics were running basically kind of a shoestring budget for major league baseball. So what they were doing, um, Billy Bean sat down and they were working all of the analytics and they were, they were trying to figure out who could we get to help us this season? Like out of everybody out there, what could we assemble? Maybe somebody who was once a pitcher and was a pretty good hitter, like could be over at first base, no longer pitching and a hitter. And, and maybe that'll work for a year. Maybe someone who's toward the end of their career, like um, we could sign them and, and keep them for a, a year, whatever. But it was like for that year. So that's part of this is the focus. And by the way, just in closing things out here, I just lost my um, podcast notes. There we go. The focus schools have got to adapt unless you're in this handful of kind of, you know, these, these, these wealthy suburban districts where, you know, people have their homes there and they're not going to be moving. Right. Um, and so you're going to have more stability in your schools, but a number of schools are going to be in this Oakland athletics predicament. I would say more than half. And they're going to have to look at like, you know, Houston, how do we feel the team for this year? Houston school district, Nevada uh, school district. I mean, how do we, how do we field a team through the end of May versus like, how do we recruit somebody? And then, you know, we're going to build up and they're going to have, you know, more opportunity. They'll be department chair. They'll be coaching. It's like, no, like maybe that'll happen, but how do you, how, how, and how do you find these people? How do you find their skill sets that might be able to come in and you might be able to use them in this capacity? And maybe they've never done this before, right? Or maybe someone who was an aide that could get an emergency license because they're really good with, you know, um, something, right? They're, they're really good with with uh, some of the technology, you know, stuff so we could get them in and, and you know, use them in that, in that capacity. So I th- now... Studies have been shown, you know, one of the things that people will stay at a job if they feel they have a friend there, right? Or if they have friends there. Now, it's kind of weird because, like, work, there's only, you know, like, the the show The Office is probably more genuine, right? Like, you know, you have work friends, but, I mean, if if people feel that they have a a friend or some friends at work. The other, you know, one of the factors, like, the people above them have their back or going to throw one under the bus. but, um, But I think it's a money ball approach. It was it was novel when Billy Bean did it with the athletics, and then other just other major league franchises kind of caught on, and you know now a number of them do that, you know Milwaukee Brewers stuff like that. But um, I think the approach is it has to change. It has to change where HR comes in and, and says, yeah, what do we what do we do? And they have to be with boards of education and administrators. How do you how do you how are you a principal? How are you a principal when you know that you I mean you're kind of like a coach then you've got that team for one season and you know 95% of them aren't coming back for the next year maybe half of them are right this is the new model in maybe half the districts you know maybe you you have up to half your staff you know leaving in a year that you have to replace so how do you train administrators you know that's one thing I was I assemble my syllabus my syllabi I work on is is saying you know 
you should, one of the things you always have to be thinking about now as an administrator is induction of how things are done around here from a school safety standpoint to how people set schedules up and, you know, all of these things of, uh, because someone is not going to have 25 years of knowledge and they're not going to have what's called legacy knowledge. Like, you know, saying my dad was a teacher and his dad was a teacher or and stuff like that, where it passes down in the 9-11 Harbor rescue in lower Manhattan, um, September 11, 2001, you know, a lot of the boat captains, tugboat captains who participated in rescues, they had been captain, they had, their families had done that for 200 years, 200 years. Their, their family crest was on the boat, right? And that's the part that's going to be gone, or it is gone. You have to realize it in education. You have to, you have to stop kidding yourself too, as educators and all, all of uh, in this, it's not only education profession, right? But um, but let's say in education, no one is coming forward and acknowledging it's a money ball situation right now. It is fueling a roster for this team. We have to change professional development to scale people up the fastest we can in these very complex systems. And how you, how you especially how you interface with students with special needs, with IEPs, with autism, you might have behavior training where some staff, you know, have all this, this, this training that typically they would have received and how do you condense it to get the, to them and then if they leave, get it to somebody else. Um, so, so that is, that's something I'm addressing in my classes. I've done it for the last few years and I've, I've even updated it this year, um, to, and it's the thing where I would present it three, four years ago, people would say like, okay, like, you know, um, I know what you're trying to do here. And, and now they would stop and say, yeah, that happened in my district. That's happening right now. Um, you know, we have four emergency licenses at the elementary level in a district of, you know, like 600 kids, K-12 or something. I mean, so it's a change where people are saying, yep, that's happening. Like it's happening right now. And, and you have to be realistic, like your board of education and also these states aren't realistic, right? The states who are giving state report cards out to, you know, so schools can compare against each other and, and you know, this, this competition. It's like, it's not fair to schools. Like our state superintendent of education has been quiet I mean, that's a person I barely hear anything about, um, you know, and and seeing her come forward and say, here's, here's right, that things are changing, like districts are, and kind of like leading that um, to 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 snowplow that a little bit for districts as, as they get into this and, and to have their back, um, you know, when there's there's things happening, like students not hitting their their minutes of instruction or school saying, hey, like we can't have, offer foreign language anymore because we can't get the teachers and we try to do it remotely, but it's all filled up or whatever. And um, so Moneyball, Moneyball and K-12 education, I think it's, it's here. And so what does that mean? It means your business manager is really kind of almost like a sports manager. Like you, that's why I said, you're going to be recruiting people. People are going to work with agents, education agents, and they're going to have, you know, kind of a resume, it will have a resume put together, maybe like a short video thing or some demo stuff. And, and that might be sent out in as a human resources person or human resources and principal. And it, this is also going to accelerate the hiring process. In the past, you could interview, you know, you might have 10, 15 applications, you interview three to five people, you bring a couple people back, not anymore. Like you probably are doing one interview because they'll go somewhere else. Like if you get an interview, if, if they cross your path, you've got to move. 
And if you don't, they're going to go somewhere else. So you got to be able to make a decision and, and you know what you're doing. I mean, this is, this is just absolutely crazy. And, and we know that certified public accountants, like if you, if you got to pick a career, that's your career or working for the IRS, but welcome to Chad Elkins in the house, by the way, chat. I absolutely love your show. I've been catching it, but, uh, because, um, I've been super chatting, um, I'm not, you, you did give me uh, quite a few nods during, during the show. So I do appreciate it. And your show's awesome, by the way. And I, I chat is offering, uh, or we'll be offering some, um, online courses in the next few months of some areas to consider if you're looking in accounting, you know, like from bookkeeping to entry level accounting to pathways into higher level accounting. Chad's a, a, a CPA, um, who owns his own um, CPA business and I have a ton of respect for Chad. So, you know, in talking about right, what Chad is doing though, he's doing this. So there are people who might be thinking I could go into teaching or, Hey, I just watched this, you know, video that, you know, Chad put out, like, I, you know, I just bought this to learn more about, you know, how to be a bookkeeper and it's remote work and some paths forward with that. And I can make, the same amount of money or more money or right. I'm not interfacing day to day with all these different regulations and maybe, you know, upset parents and, and, you know, this, this different turnover, I can kind of turn it into an entrepreneur um, thing. So, so right. This is where I think education sometimes, or a lot of times thinks they operate in a bubble, like the outside world isn't happening of, of these evolutions. So, Chad Elkins is saying, Doc, it's all about the garbage salad. Next one's on me, probably not Clary. So I appreciate that. Garbage salad is good. And then when you, after you're done with the garbage salad, you have to eat your meal as fast as you can. So if it takes more than two minutes, it's not going to cut it. So I remember watching a show where they interviewed uh, prisoners. And one of the prisoners said, you got to learn to eat really fast. So I had a friend in, in the Navy who said the same thing. Chow time was, was cooking. Um, Andrew, Andrew is saying, I know how to keep teacher, teachers pizza party. So the, I think there are things that happen in the teaching profession. I want to touch on this. And where it doesn't do any, anything really positively to promote teaching. I think it has, has the inverse effect. When there's teacher appreciation week, in my district, because um, you know, I'm usually down at the, the the track and stuff like that. And um, what they what they do is they take out the the metal post, right? And they take out the the vinyl sign, and it says this is Teacher Appreciation Week in district. And they stake them in front of the the lawns, and then you know, within if it rains or a little windy or in a day or two, like they kind of slope inward, and the, the sign kind of crumples down. And and it's like, okay, yeah, we. I mean, it's it's those types of things. Or, yeah, we're doing a pizza party for staff. I remember once, and honest, I'll never forget this, we had um, an administrator who, who got Kentucky Fried Chicken to cater a teacher appreciation um, event. And afterwards shared with me, I, I, was, I was not an administrator at the time, shared with me, Hey, I got, I got a great deal in this. Cause like some of the chicken and the uh, biscuits were a day old. And I'm like, why would you even tell me that for one? 
and you know, you're, so you're, you're trying to do this, this, uh, appreciation thing on, on the cheap. And, but, you know, I, I think some of these things are right of, of, you know, pizza party and stuff. It's kind of like, you know, when Aaron Clary said, Hey, I, um, you know, he, he said, when I, when I was going in and getting my, my first jobs in banking, Aaron Clary. Right. So he said, um, I, went to one bank, you know, and he drove, you know, like 10 hours or whatever from, from, um, Minneapolis to, to South Dakota. And he said, this bank, um, was, you know, so this again, early, early, early in his, his banking finance career, you know, one of the things when they were going through the interview is they were saying, Oh, you know, we want people to be, our workers to be involved in the community and whatever, whatever, whatever. And, and things. And then I think they called him back and, and they weren't sure whether to offer him the position or not. And they just said, you know, you didn't seem like you're really into like the whole community vibe and stuff. He's like, well, I'm, I'm more about doing the job, right? Of making sure people aren't trying to Xerox their own checks that they write, you know, to themselves and, and deposit them here, which I think happened. Um, but they, but then, you know, when they backpedaled and said, well, you know, of course we want you here. And so he's like, well, this is not, not the vibe. I don't want to be there. You know, I, I don't want to be brought into these things where, um, you know, I have to, to, to do all these kind of goofy stunts with, with the clients and put on all of these, these, these things, you know, and I see that happening too, you know, with, with, um, I, I never, it never set well with me when teachers or schools will do these things where they'd be like, Oh, you know, like if you read so many books, you get to, um, duct tape, your a teacher to a wall for, you know, the morning or something like that. Or, you know, the principal will be up on top of the building having to do his work up there or a pie in the face of somebody. I mean, those are real gimmicky. And I think they're real, um, you wouldn't do that in a, a, a profession type thing. Right. I mean, I think there's other ways to, to approach stuff like that. You know, like maybe if you do whatever, we'll bring in this, the local drone guy who has the drone business. For example, there's a, there's a guy who lives um, a couple houses from me. He's a good friend of mine. He has a drone business. He started and now he's hired on people. It's really cool. It's down in a bigger city. Um, he actually takes his electric bike to work every day, but, um, like here, like we'll bring in this guy and he'll show you like a drone. That's the size of a nickel. And, you know, like a $50,000 drone that they use to inspect power poles or they like use for rescues on the Wisconsin river. And I mean, like every kid would be like, Oh my God, you know, like, Hey, we're going to read, you know, each classroom is going to read a thousand books or whatever. But so I think those, those whole pie in the face type of things are another, um, I, I just, I, I don't think it portrays the profession. Well, um, John is saying uh, kids are being homeschooled more now are they need less teachers. They're firing in some places yeah, that's happening. Uh, homeschooling is going up um, uh, money following the student. So charter and private schools is increasing. I think Arizona just passed that. So that is happening too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those, those things are, are happening. I think in, so, it, right. If we actually look at the number of students in schools versus where the, where we were like five years ago, now numbers of students who are homeschool or um, I don't know if the numbers are really changing that much. In some places they're getting less, but the staffing is going up. Right. So I know a lot of places where I started out where there was like a principal for a 
K8, and now there's like a principal, an assistant principal, a K8 director of instruction, a K8 diversity coordinator, a, you know, a, a K8 teacher coach. I mean, that's like four new positions right there. So these positions have gone up. Now we talked about these bonuses and, and, and these other things. That goes right back to the taxpayers. A number of states have where during certain circumstances, you can go outside of your mill rate, your rate per what you're charging per million dollars of property. You can make an exception to that for certain conditions. And some of that falls under these, these hiring things. Um, so you end up as a taxpayer, if your district starts to get, go off the rails on this, your taxes will go up, right? And so, and not only that, like once this kicks off, one district does it, the neighboring district does it. Part of it is they have to do it to be competitive. Part of it is social proof, right? Oh, we, we have two other districts, three districts in the conference are doing it. Now we have to do it. The other thing is um, there are usually boards of education usually have processes where they're saying, we will always be in the top half of our conference for compensation. Well, that changes really fast when you have three out of 10 districts now offering these bonuses are offering to re So what happens if you hire a chemistry teacher and you, in, instead of hiring that teacher at $50,000, you hire that teacher at $80,000 and the existing chemistry teacher who's been there, let's say four years is making 62,000. So this four year teacher teaches chemistry. Now you've added another one. So, you know, say you're growing, you have two sections of chemistry. Suddenly they're like, they knock on your door and they say, hey, like you just hired this person for 18,000 more than me and I've been here four years. So there's something called make me whole, make me whole. And that's saying if somebody that does what I do with a license and teaches the same or very similar type things gets hired in higher than I am, you will adjust my pay. Now that happens sometimes and other times it doesn't. Other other times, the moment you do this with teachers and you, you pay somebody high higher and it gets out, everybody lines up at the superintendent's door. Like I have a superintendent friend who was telling me this uh, like two years ago. He said, we hired somebody, right, for a tech ed teacher and we paid them $85,000, $90,000, which was double like what an elementary teacher was making. And he said, of course, the next day, every teacher in the district wanted an appointment with me, wanted to negotiate and stuff. And he just said, no, like this was a very high needs area. You know, we have a million dollars worth of equipment and, and this launches into our partnership with our tech colleges. And, and it's almost like saying, you know, part of it's essential, non-essential. Like if we apply, if we post for an elementary position to teach third grade, maybe we'll get seven or 10 applicants, maybe. If we post this position, which we've done for this high school tech ed, uh, we might get one position from 50 states, one applicant from 50 states. So, uh, so then, yeah, people get really upset because back in the days, right, when when everything was on a salary scale and, and the unions were very strong, um, if you were making, if you came into a school, you're making that money kind of regardless. You Every year you got more, you moved up the scale. If you took more classes, you kind of moved up. Um, so, so, so yeah, this is something where the implication for taxpayers is, is pretty nuts because districts can, can, uh, you know, increase their payroll 20, 30% short term and 
are the states going to come in and slap their hand and regulate them? Um, where is this money going to come from? Is it going to come from fund balance? Schools have that maybe short term. Right now, the Recovery Act money, I mean, they're hiring staff out of this. Are they going to flex the money coming in for mental health and either hire teachers with it or like add some pseudo training to a teacher and say, oh, it's in vivo mental health, which is going to be delivered as the teacher teaches or something. I don't know. But it is crazy. It is absolutely crazy to, to, to look at this teacher recruitment. So, you know, and that's part of part of today's show is, is I looked at this and started to see what Des Moines was doing of saying, hey, we'll pay 50,000 more in Georgia. You know, these big, big bonuses for like a year. We'll just say we can squeeze a year of service out of you. Um, and the thing is, like, where where's this money coming from? We've gotten into at a government level, at least. Right. There's there's no sense of accountability. Right. With inflation, you just print off more money. But there's another 800 billion printed off. And, and so. You know, what does it mean to be 25 trillion in debt versus 38 trillion in debt? I mean, they're both abstract numbers. No one really knows. Chad probably knows. But but you get to this point where it really gets abstract for people. And then with a, with a board of education, and these are people with the lowest level of politics, you get voted in, right? Um, and, and now that these are easy positions, I'm saying board of education, there's, you know, turnover in that. And. Board of Education and, and your superintendent, the superintendent is going to say, you got to give me people to work with. Like, if you don't, if I don't have staff, I'm, you know, what am I supposed to do? And the soup will leave. I mean, soups can go places. They can get out of there. So then if you know, you're kind of and, you know, if you have at least your superintendent there, that's something you can try to get some, some initiatives, you know, rolling some stability. Um, so it is, it is this vicious circle. But it's kind of like letting the genie out of the, the box. Um, I don't know. The genie, the genie was in a box. So, no, the genie out of the jar. Lamp. Once you do the bonuses and once you you do these short-term packages for people, um, it's all. It's you, you can you can't go back. Um, it just doesn't work in reverse. And what will happen then, if you try to reverse it and say, oh, we're going back to like a salary of lane schedule of so many years and professional people say, I'm not in it, right? They're like, I'm going to do, I know Chad Elkins is putting out a series of classes that I can pay whatever, $800 for, and I can learn um, kind of the nuts and bolts of how I could get in and get some certifications in bookkeeping or, you know, some entry-level accounting and things like this. And without having to go into debt, with having, without having to, you know, be into all of these, these uh, progressive credentialism systems. And, you know, and that's an option for me. And, and maybe, you know, like, there's a, a lot of appeal. Uh, and plus, like, I can, it's a transferable skill, like, to your own personal management of life and finances. That's where I think, like, a CPA has, like, or if like a your CPA or a nurse, for example, like there's a having those skills apply to everyday life what you're doing. So I mean, you're nursed, right? You know, you're not feeling well, or your kids are sick, or kid breaks a bone, or whatever or something happens. You know, you can immediately put into play those those skills, right? I mean, um, you know, if you're you're a CPA, of course, it's, it's your your 
managing your own personal finances. I mean, you, you understand how all that works. Um, so Andrew is saying, hire the smartest kid in the class teacher. Somebody that's been done more than once. I think if you, you did a Google search, um, <laughs> you'll find where high schools, I think, just turned it over to a kid who was doing really well. And not a lot, like there's a handful of those instances. But, um, it, I worked, I worked in a school district that this was back in the year 2000, 2001, um, worked in a district, smaller district, maybe 1200 kids, K-12, um, rural district, not super rural, but they had, um, they hired, I think five, six high school kids to teach staff how to use their computers. This was back when computers were still kind of new and in email and they would hire them to like show them how to access, like how to print to this printer. And you know. but these kids were paid by the district and they were under the supervision of the tech coordinator who gave them some kind of like, you know, crash course and this stuff. But these kids already had like a made ability in this. And, um, and, and it was a smart move for the district, right? Because you're getting six kids stuff that they can put on a resume it eased the burden significantly. Um, and for, you know, and, and at that time it was, it's a lot different than today, you know, having to set up and maintain all these computers and all these, you know, the computers were in computer labs, you know, they, they weren't just a, a notepad, stuff like that. But, um, but there is something, there is something to that. Of at what point do we take students and, move them into some peer teaching role. Um, I think there's there's a lot to be said about that as part of just the education and learning model. I read I read a, a really good blog post yesterday on LinkedIn. And it was someone who said, you know, you have to teach people, this wasn't like an education threat, but like you have to teach people um, the art of discussion, not necessarily debate, that was the thing where Larry Lawton, America's biggest jewel thief, um, what he does now is he's, you know, like young people don't know how to debate, take a position on things. They immediately like defend a position or like pull out a gun and, you know, shoot you because, you know, you don't agree with them. Um, you have to be able to debate positions. Like what are the merits of that position or my position? You might not agree, right? But um, we used to have debate teams in high school. It used to be on the Saturday, Saturday night TV when I was growing up. Like our local rural high school but, uh, but yeah now it's this this article said it's not debate it's really just how do you discuss things um just to bring up a topic right and and how you geez i don't know i can find around here but um so i probably should have like repost it and never find it again but it, it was very specific on here are some ways to just have a discussion because a debate gets right more formal and you know, your steps through that of understanding that your opponent's position and yours. But, but I'm saying, like, we got to teach people just how to have discussions. Um, this thing is like dive bombing me here. I don't, I don't know what's, what's going on. But uh, so, so yeah, I, anyway, um, kind of going back on the Southwood server, Aladdin, you're going to the genie, genie in the bottle. So, 
Um, so yeah, where did where did we kind of end up here? Is schools are paying bonuses, and some of them, I, you know, I guess relative to what you consider a big bonus, uh, you know, fifty thousand dollars Des Moines Public Schools for, uh, and you know, again, we're we're kind of seeing this all over. Once it happens in one, if it happens in All right, let me. There we go. Let me do this. I'm trying to sync up some of the video stuff. So, all right, looks like we're back. F. <laughs> all right, I think we're okay. I think we're okay. Um, so, so yeah, this whole thing of bonuses is—it's not working. And you'll see some. You'll see something out there where some community, you know, philanthropist, right, is going to donate whatever, and teachers will suddenly have a um, hundred thousand dollar bonus, right? Or they'll. I think what's going to where you're going to have to go with this for teachers, so you you don't have taxpayers really get angry, is is you'd have to do something of saying we're going to do a bonus of fifty thousand, and the local GM didn't like the local whatever. Um, places you're going to to give them credits. So let's say, because then at least you could say, oh, the money's going to stay in the community. I'm not saying this makes a hell of a lot of sense. I'm just saying like this makes more sense than just saying we're going to give somebody fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars about a public funding, right? So I think you know you could say we're we're doing a fifty thousand dollar bonus and then they will have um, another 25000 and it has to be spent at any of these participating local businesses. Um, so, right, it's probably going to be automotive, um, would be one. I don't, I don't know what the local businesses would be, right? I don't know what that... Um, but, but if you can make it seem that these dollars are being recirculated into the community, then... Maybe it shows some vesting, and I don't know. Um, but the, the, the right, that's a snake biting its own tail. I mean, pretty soon you're going to have people in an area, you know, competing. If, if, well, I'll go. You know, here's a hundred thousand dollar bonus. Here's a hundred and ten thousand dollar bonus. Or, I mean, it'll just kind of collapse in on it on itself. Um, so I don't know, and then. You know, when these if these districts do kick off in the wealthier districts or the suburban districts, which are typically doing pretty well as far as like staff retention and stuff, like if they get in the game and they're going to start offering bonuses, then they're just going to drive. They're going to accelerate this pattern of these smaller districts kind of going extinct because they're just going to have the staff. Again, it's so ironic because we have a billion dollars now going into school mental health. You're going to hear that over and over and over and over and over and over again. A billion dollars going into school mental health out of the Safer Communities um, bill that was passed and into the law. Who's going to do that? Like, it's kind of, well, it's, um, Chad Elkins had said this on um, his recent uh, show. He said, you know, IRS agents, right? You're going to hire 80,000 or whatever. Who's, who are you going to hire? Where are these people coming from? You know, because there's already a shortage of, of accountants and you know chad is a cpa i mean so significantly experienced in 
and credentialed, but where are these people going to come from? There's going to be competent. And it's one of these things in his field, like as you hire IRS agents, you're going to inversely have more accountants and CPAs and tax attorneys come up on the other side to counter that. So, but yeah, what my recommendation would be right now to anybody teaching is whatever contract you have, like <laughs> I would go and I would do, I would free agent this. I would go in and, and um, try to find out if anybody around you, at least in the media, right, is doing bonuses or they're posting any of this. And I would, I would meet with H, HR and say, this is what I, you know, this is what I need because this is what's happening. This is what other areas and what my change of pay is and keeping up with inflation. HR will probably come back, oh, your benefits and other stuff and say, here's the deal. I'm going to start looking. So the next time I come in here is probably with my, you know, my resignation letter. I mean, I, I do think it's that way. And if it's the, if it's one of those things, like it's, it's an off season for you, right? Like you, you're heading into the end of the school year and you've got to look forward to, you know, so what's around you or what might you want to do remote? Or is there a, a district that'll say, yeah, we'll do four days and you can do another day of online class. I mean, you can negotiate these things out there. I don't think you necessarily have to like, up the stakes and leave. But I would I would really look at that. Um, and I think for young people coming out, so let's hypothetically say I'm 22 years old, I have my teaching license. Um, I would want to, and I think experience, it's good as Aaron Clary, reconnaissance man, you know, check different places. To live. I'd want to say like, I want to go somewhere where the weather's warm and I can hike or bike most of the year and and go down there and just say, you know, find these places where you might want to go, do some reconnaissance, check it out. And whatever they're paying, say, hey, like, I'm not from here, but I'll come down here if you give me this plus whatever, $20,000, $25,000, because I have to relocate, I have to do whatever. And, and they can say, if they say no, they say no. So then I've got other issues. I know you're, I know Houston, you're short 2,000 teachers. Um, and, you could have me, right? And, and I'm going to be down here. I'm coming, you know, to work every day. Or you can have that position empty, and you might have to cut a section, or you're going to, have to combine. And if you combine, people aren't going to stay around; they're going to take off. So, um, you know, a teacher who's got 40 kids is going to look for a, a district that offers, a, you know, class size of 18 or 20. So there's a lot of power. You just have to know how to negotiate, and that's something, right? With teachers. That's not part of their their makeup, right? They don't know that um, innately coming in. How to negotiate? It really is going to be person by person dependent. But it's not a field where you negotiate. Not like attorneys, right? Where you know everything is is interpretation and negotiation and you know, stuff like that. So I I believe, um, and I've I've done this with some of my my clients, and I changed you know my consulting model where I, I really eased off of it. I mean, significantly um, after the, the pandemic. During the pandemic, like it was, it was absolutely like people couldn't get enough of your your time. Um, and then it was kind of like, well, I need time. I need time to be out biking, like yesterday, doing seventy miles and you know, doing you know writing my books and, and doing you know, things that I want to do. Not that I don't want to do the other things, but right there's a difference between work and there's a difference between being out for a day biking seventy miles. Um, but know what you're worth. And 
people never, teachers never get told that, of know, you know, what your value is. It's always, it's kind of altruism, right, of, of giving back. And, and maybe there's some of that in nursing or, you know, some medical stuff or whatever. But no, like, know what you're, you're worth. And, you know, you can, you know, put a, a price tag on, on that today. And you can negotiate and you should negotiate. Um, and there are, are going to be multiple people because of remote work. One of the, you know, one of the things for me was, I, I mean, I would have never thought 15 years ago that during the pandemic, I would be consulting, you know, from, I don't know, seven in the morning till seven at night, because a number of my clients, education consulting, special ed consulting, um, a number of my clients were in California. Of course, you know, three hours ahead. Um, I never thought that would be something you could techn technologically do, yet that's the world. And I could do everything from right here in this office. I could never have to go anywhere. So, um, yeah, these, these are things where come in, know what you're worth, um, and don't be afraid to negotiate. Negotiate hard. Because I can tell you as... As a prince, the principal is going to be putting heat on the human resources person. Whoever's doing that in the district, and the business folks are saying, "I cannot like do this." You know, we uh, we cannot say we're going to have a safe school and we're going to be able to instruct and meet the test the annual testing requirements if I don't have teachers, right? Um, so you've got to get people down here. People have got to be in this building. They've got to be. They've got to be teaching. Um, the Board of Education is going to hear that, and the Board of Education is also going to hear from the superintendent, from HR, hey, like if we we have a class as a 40, and our neighboring districts start putting a TV commercial out there and saying, hey, like we have a class size of 18, and this district next to us has 40, we're going to lose kids open enrollment, which we lose dollars, fifteen to $18,000 a kid, and then, then what happens, right? Um, so, and all of this... This might be the best time for someone to be a teacher in a very short term frame or time frame, right? Like to look at three to five years. And I kind of think in life, that's really how you should approach things now anyway. After writing the philosophy of information, I'm like, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's important to be very fiscally responsible and kind of conservative and, and to have things which are concrete assets and not have debts which are carrying into the future as much as possible. But but to say like, you know, you can have goals and stuff, but I think you got to look at the next like three to five years is really what you're always looking at. Then recalibrating. Because again, five years ago, remote work was kind of a novelty, right? Remote school, um, being able to get your groceries log into you know Walmart or whatever and you go and pick them up at whatever time you know um, these types of, of things remote doctor visits and all, all this stuff but these were kind of novelties thinking a laptop could stay charged for a whole day or two days or or, or these things where you could hold a teleconference just with your phone um, we don't realize right that this stuff has happened really fast and it's been amplified it's been kicked forward like 10 years I wrote about that in the philosophy of information by the pandemic. One of the things that one of the big, big things in tech out of the pandemic was battery life. So battery life um, almost doubled during, during um, 
the pandemic because of the research being put into making batteries that last longer for remote learning and, and remote medicine and work and all of that stuff. So like the battery you have in your phone or if you have a new laptop or iPad or whatever, if you take that library, if you take that, not library, you take that, that battery and compare it to the 2019, it's double, if not more. We don't really realize it though, right? We don't realize that we can only use things for a couple hours back then we had to plug them in. Um, but that is, that is one of these direct results. So I think you look and you say in three to five years, and frankly, if, you know, I can do the job the best that I can do. Um, they're going to give me the, whatever professional development. I'm going to be very ethical, try to do the best job. But if I can make $50,000 bonus, right, if I can bank that, if I can take out a Roth IRA if I'm eligible for it, Roth IRA, or if I can, you know, put some money into an I-bond right now, which is paying about 9%, right, um, or some stable investments, a certificate of deposit, five-year certificate of deposit being 3.2%. Now, I know it doesn't meet inflation, all these other things. I get, I get it, right? Or you can, you know, go with the brokerage T-roll price or whatever and take out your own, you know, IRA and stuff like that. I get it, I get it, I get it. But um, I would say, you know, I'm not interested in the state retirement. Like, forget about it. I don't want to participate in it. I don't know if you, I, I don't really know how that works. Like, in some, in some schools, I think there is an option now where you can kind of like say, I don't want to do that. And then they just give you the money and you manage it yourself. But you got to be like responsible to do that, right? Because at least you know, state retirement will likely be there at some capacity. And, you know, these these other things, like say I want time off. I, I want to be able to work from home. Like I, I want to be, if I'm teaching four sections of whatever, I want half of this one section to be done remote. So students will log in and asynchronous. So let me develop an asynchronous in your school thing. Like schools have Moodle, schools have stuff. Hey, is anybody listening anymore? I don't see any more posts. So, um, um, yeah. So, I don't know. I kind of went off of the air for a moment. But anybody, anybody out there? Hey! Andrew and South. Good. Cool. So if you're thinking about, you know, I want to change things up in my life, right? Think about going and applying to be a teacher for a year or two. And an emergency license. All the states have them. Um, you know, it's a it's going to be a steady paycheck. You're probably going to be able to do a signing bonus. Um, but if this is a situation, you know, where right now you're like, I want to do something where, you know, I know I'm going to, not that teaching is all, you know, nights and weekends and summers and all that stuff. But I'm saying, if you wanted, you know, something like that, you could get in, um, and you know, you know, use what use the situation to your advantage to to be making, you know, this this money and again reevaluating what do I really want to do with things. I really like this. You know, maybe I'll look around at different districts or do I specialize like into a higher needs area of education, typically special education or the sciences where there are less applicants or, you know, what do I, what I want to do? Um, and the thing is you can get into this now without having necessarily to have gone through four years of college, right? So you, instead of coming out with a, um, you know, a, a debt of, you know, 50, 60, $70,000 student loans, you, you could 
the right overtures. And the district will likely pay your credits. You know, if you're going to school at, at nights or you know, weekends or something, they'll say, you know, there, there are new teacher programs. They've streamlined a lot of this in states because they're just trying to get people certified. So you get hired and say, you know, I, I got it. If I'm going to work here, you've got to be picking up my credits so I can work towards certification. They will likely say yes. So I I do think as we think of the positives in schools, because I don't want to I don't want to paint this all as like <laughs> really being a bad thing. I think schools are handling this whole staff shortage thing uh, not well. Like they we're trying to to anchor to old models which don't exist. You know, like, oh, like, wait 30 years and get your pension. And, um, and you know, and Andrew, I think, brought it up before. I think there's this novelty aspect for a while that was in schools. Like, um, you know, teachers will take a pie in the face if somebody in you know, a class reads a thousand books or will, will duct tape someone to a wall. Principal in winter will have to be up on a chair on the roof for a day. I, I think those detract from the profession. Like you, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't see that in nursing or, you know, engineering, right. Or you are uh, city, uh, you know, water and sewer folks or, or stuff like that. Right? You just, you're just not going to, to see those things. You'll see some outreach and stuff like that. Right. But you're not seeing those types of things. I think that's a really bad, a bad thing. Um, so I think schools need to just get rid of that. One time I was asked, by a counselor when I was an administrator to wear a suit. It was, it was like a, it was like a purple, um, it was a completely zip up suit. It was kind of like, I looked, I would look like the flash on, um, what was no, or Frozone. I'd look, I would look like Frozone on The Incredibles. It was kind of, kind of like that. And then part of it was like, then I would, uh, I would play like the superhero character for like counseling or something. And there was some, some theme they're reading at the elementary, but I looked at this thing and I'm like, first it would be very form fitting. And it was just really weird. Right. I, like you wouldn't technically know who I am because you couldn't see someone's face through this thing. It was like, I just said, no. And they were kind of surprised. Well, come on. And I'm like, well, no, this is, um, I'm, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And I didn't do it. But uh, Andrew's saying the military has recruitment problems, 250. So this is Andrew, you know, Andrew's right on. And I talked about this a few minutes ago with, um, well, I talked about pharmacists. You know, the, there's a, I think some of the big, big box stores are $75,000 bonus. I've seen quite a bit on um, advertisements for those positions. But um, the military, right? You know, saying we're not hitting recruitment strategies. So you're competing, right? In schools here, you are now competing against the military. You've always com been competing to some extent, but um, now you're directly competing. So, and a recruiter is going to tell a kid that, right? Say a kid saying, oh, you know, I, I'm thinking, like, you know, if I wanted to be a teacher and whatever, they'll say, fine, but come in here. We'll get you the, a bonus. You'll be able to do whatever. And then if you still want to be a teacher, we'll send you to school for that when you're done. So they're like, sure. And so like going right into teaching. So, um, yeah, 50 K bonuses for basic jobs and they're not getting filled. So this isn't across the, uh, across the board thing. And again, where schools are, are leaning back is they're saying, Oh, but we got this great pension, which 
to this day, most most states have a very good pension or districts who are outside of a state system have a good pension. But it's something that doesn't work anymore. You can't sell people, especially after the last three years of life, you can't sell people and say, 30 years from now, 35 years from now, this will be out there for you. And also, like, people be like, well, yeah, but what is, yeah, you know, right now, gallon of gas is double what it was eight months ago, you know, and and people are just like, no, man, I need it now, and I need to be in control of it. Like, it needs to be right here. Like, my state retirement, I have, I have nothing. I can, I, have, I get a statement once a year in the mail, and it's because I'm not doing it anymore with the state. It doesn't it doesn't change? But um, I, and I'm too young to draw anything from it. But I can't log in. There's no portal. I can't take it. I can't transfer it somewhere. You know, so it's just kind of a crazy thing. But. Hey, it's uh, Bacon, our friend Bacon from Inglewood, California, where there's no shortage of fun. Urban choice, I don't know. I do not know. Um, but welcome to a friend, Bacon. Andrew, the military recruitment can tell that kid he won't get blown away at a school. It is kind of a weird thing, right? A weird, a weird um, way to look at that. So, you know, one of the things people have asked me is, do you, do you think teachers aren't going into teaching because they're afraid of being shot, right? I said, no. Like, that is not, um, that's just, I haven't heard that yet. You know, maybe, right, some people, it's impacting their decision, but, you know, right, but we have sh shootings at parades or people mowing down people, you know, with vehicles at parades and farmers markets and things like that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, I think there's, if there are people who aren't going in because of, of the fear of a school shooting, there's also people going in to schools because they think they can make a difference in preventing that school shooting, right? So in identifying those students earlier or being the person who, you know, tackles the student or, you know, we've seen the videos where a student, there's a video out there somewhere where a student came in with a weapon, a staff member chopped them down and. So I think there's, I, I haven't seen um, school shootings impact school recruitment. School discipline, though, is big time causing people to not stay. So once you get in, and again, after we look at the 2014 Obama administration, Department of Education, dear a dear colleague letter is a letter that goes out to you, like all school districts saying, Here's what we think you should do, but it's kind of like think as, and here's what you need to do. Um, and if you don't, there's going to be consequences. OCR, Office of Civil Rights, investigated Oakland and Oklahoma City and a number of school districts um, around 2014 and issued fines because they said they suspended too many students. And um, so let me let me just try to find Oak. Uh, I know you're like, well, it shouldn't matter. Um, OCR, fine. Um, all right. Um, yeah, let's do this. Okay, so let's do a shared screen. Share share 
share. Yeah, 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 yeah. Share. Yes. Wow. Really hard sell here on the share. All right. So this is from the Washington Post, Oklahoma City. So this article was published six years ago. So, the, so yeah, 2016. So the Office of Civil Rights, or wait, the um, Obama administration in 2014 sent out the Dear Colleague letter to all schools saying you have to lower suspension numbers in your schools. Basically not saying how to do it, just saying numbers are too high, they have to come down. And if they don't, there's going to be consequences, which would be funding or, um, you know, there would be that information would be made public of schools possible. I mean, there's just a lot of, of, lot of things out there. Remember, schools are competing against each other for students, and that's how they, they survive. Like if they lose 100 students, that's $150,000, you know, that's, that's walking out the door. Did I do that math right? If, no, if they lose 10 students, that's 150000 um, walking out the door because they get about 15,000 a student. So anyway, there were, there were many districts, mostly larger, but not always, um, around 2016 office of civil rights jumped in and they were telling these districts, Hey, like you are suspending too many students and you have to, to revamp your, your approach to discipline. So what does that really mean? Right. And, um, setting a federal rights investigation that found, this is this article, African-American children were referred for disciplinary action at a significantly higher rate than white children. The U.S. Department announced Wednesday, this is in Oklahoma City, um, article from 2016. The 45,000 student system has committed to reducing suspensions and expulsions as much as possible. So they're doing it through abeyance agreements, um, largely, probably some other things, but in my abeyance agreement, article will be mint that comes out in find Delta Capin later this year, but basically like suspended suspension saying, don't do this again. If you follow rules for 90 days, we'll forget that you did it the first time. There'll be no record of it. So, and the district is providing resources Let's do this. Um, to social workers and psychologists to help students who act out. Act out is really kind of subjective, but I guess a violation of code of conduct is what I'd say. Okay, social worker and psychologist, those are two areas which have a severe shortage across the U.S. School psychologists and school social workers. So again, I mean, you're going to have to pay these people bonuses and retention bonuses year after year to stay in their positions. They're, um, it's credentialed, so to be a school psychologist, you have state license. A lot of these people have private licenses. So again, this, this credential, so this barrier to entry you have to pay, um, usually for social worker too. So where do these people come from? And again, if you talk to social workers and psychologists, they're going to say, well, right, you can add more of us, but we have a teacher who has 40 students because we don't have enough teachers. So these, these plans don't include more teachers, which is, is, kind of weird, right? Like if you really think about it, like why are there not plans targeted to more teachers, um, you know, to, that are class sizes? There was for a while, but that just went out the window. So this is just really strange stuff. Now, some of these districts got fine. Oh, the settlement agreement right here, the settlement agreement between the school and the federal government also requires schools to ask students for their input on what is working well. <laughs> oh my God. Well, actually, that's a good thing qualitatively, but and what is not, well, how they really know how to measure that. I could do this. Like I could, I could accomplish this. I'm 
that good of a researcher, I know how to do this when it comes to discipline. But there was a settlement, yeah. Um, I don't know if this will link out. Oh, here it is. Um, yeah. So let me take us um, offline a second. I'm just going to download this case. I don't want to, um, in case I do something, get this out of here. But right, let's go back. Okay. So Oklahoma City, so, so they had a settlement with um, Office of Civil Rights, which is federal government. Federal government is OCR for schools. If OCR comes into your school, as as an administrator, this is a horrible thing. It's one of the worst experiences you'll ever go through in your life um, in school discipline, right? In school discipline, so, because OCR comes in, they're not from your neighborhood, right? They're they're from somewhere in the state or from somewhere in your your region. So it might be a three three states make up this division of OCR. So they're they're not coming in from where you live. They're coming in and they're they're saying, you know, like you've. They're, they're going to punish you is what OCR does. And I've, so many of my friends who've been through OCR complaints, thankfully, I never dealt with one of these, but they're like, it just wipes out a year of your life. They'll come in and they'll say, we don't only really want this student's file, we want 10 other students' files. And we, or we want all students who have been disciplined in the last year. We want every file. We're going to go through everyone. We're going to interview every teacher. We're going to, and it is just crazy. And then the plans they make you put in place to, to fix things, um, if you have an OCR complaint, I, so as a joke, right? As a joke, I um, I sent to a number of my friends when I was an administrator, who are also administrators. I sent them envelopes from a fake law firm, um, and then I sent their. I had it all typed up and stuff, and I had a, a sticker that would go on the front, and it would say "time sensitive, read immediately, um, litigation materials included." And then, um, and then, when they got this, immediately they thought it was like from the office of civil rights. I didn't put like office of civil rights up a couple corner because, and you know, I'm not going to go that far. But, um, but they would, and actually, then inside, you know, it'd just be some kind of you know spoof thing. And, and but they one one of my friends said I was in a meeting and I got called out by my secretary and she was almost in tears and she's like, look at like you you got to open this immediately. But it is one of those things where OCR isn't there to help you, really. I mean, honest, honestly, if you ask the ministry. And if you, as a, as a, when the states were more hands-on in uh, auditing schools, and now it's all self-assessment, right? They give you stuff. Oh, it's like self-assessment. Well, good luck on that. Um, there's some, there's just a lot. So this is stuff you got to deal with, right, in schools. Right. So if, as an administrator, like if you're in a district and you had a you had to roll out some big OCR plan, like I'd look somewhere else. <laughs> I'd be I'd be gone. Like I wouldn't and have OCR come back, you know, every 60 days to look at this and yeah, stuff like that. I mean, you know, who, who wants those headaches when you've got other positions open and available to you? But um yeah, OCR. So so again, that's another thing where if you can move yourself into a position where you're not going to have these outside forces that will, will manipulate your career and be able to, to move you around. You know, where, again, Chad Elkins of saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, Chad is going to offer some classes people can take to give them uh, awareness, uh, a knowledge base of what it 
bookkeeping, different aspects of accounting, you know, so forth, working up. And then so like, here's how to do this. Here's what would require a degree or here's what's or whatever. And then also, you know, people are going to look at that and say, I'm not going to have to go through an OCR complaint from doing this right. Um, although it's nuanced, I have my own opinion. Um, Bacon is saying, correct. Um, from what I remember, teachers got paid for every student in their seat every day. Main reason why truancy is Yeah. I don't know if that happened so much in Wisconsin. I mean, teacher pay was pretty, was set. So it, if your students didn't show up, it didn't impact paycheck you took home, but as a district, right, it would impact the reimbursement your district would be getting. Uh, truancy would impact that, and then if the district was losing count of, you know, that student wasn't receiving an education, so the district's not, they, they don't get their $15,000, that does impact you, you know, either directly or indirectly as the district has to make up, you're getting less revenue, so. Andrew was a great prank, man. I did it so well that, uh, you know, I spent so much time. And I think what I did is I had a picture. I was, it was three other administrators. We were, we were really good friends. We were all golfing, um, you know, like on a, a weekend in, in summer. And we had a picture taken of the four of us. There's still the pictures. Um, and so and it was, I had the picture then printed as an 8 by 10 So I, I had this like cover letter in there. It looked like it was from a, a law firm or whatever, and then it 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 quickly like after the first paragraph, and then I think I don't I don't know how I did it. Like I had the I had the uh, picture within another envelope inside, which was like to, to be. I mean, it was crazy. Like, but of course, you know, and some of that had to be the levity of these positions because you know when you go through this, it really it really took a lot out of you. There's another thing called a due process complaint for special education as special education director. You know, those, those were, were long and, and uh, could be kind of demoralizing and consuming, and uh, they were nowhere near um, how intrusive an OCR investigation was. Yeah. Like I, I had one friend, he, he just retired. <laughs> he, he told me, and, I, and he talked about this for years afterwards, like he was maybe 59, 60 years old, right? And tended to work a few more years and some office of civil rights uh, complaint. I don't know all the details of it, but he just said it was such a horrible experience. It went on like a whole year and then there was this corrective action plan they'd have to implement every 60 days. OCR would be like on site or something. So he had just retired. But, but yeah, he, he talked about that. But I don't know if he's still alive, um, but yeah, it's... Um, Probably like in his obituary, he'll be like, you know, and from the, you know, 2007 to 2009, he participated in the OCR investigation, you know, whatever. He was, his district was the recipient of an OCR investigation. And, you know, that's where I, I think this whole thing, too, is, you know, this this mirage, right? Of, I don't know if it's a mirage. It's, it's um, I, I really challenge, I really press my, it's in aspiring administrators who are like first-year superintendents or first-year principals. So I've got, you know, that's everybody. That's everybody in my group. So when I, when I, one of the first, in the first class, we look at all the organizations that they are part of or their district has a membership. So, you know, school board association, right? And 
the whatever you can you can HR you know group for your state membership and national. So suddenly you first of all you find out these districts are part of like you know 15, 20 organizations that they're paying dues of like four to five thousand dollars a year to have access. And then there's usually something like you know we'll give you two hours of free legal counsel if you need it. But you know, I, I look at this and I, I really saw how these organizations functioned and really how they just kind of delayed during the pandemic and didn't help these districts out at all. And these districts are getting sued by parents. And I'm the one as, an, as a professor, right, coming up and saying, well, here's what it means, this lawsuit. Um, it's injunctive relief. And, you know, an administrator is saying, you know, I'm not getting any help from my state organizations. They're not giving out any guidance on this. Like, we just like, all of our computers are frozen in the district. I'm like, you know, there's a process. I'm walking him through. I'm, I'm talking to attorneys or informing me of what's happening. And, uh, you know, but, um, but these organizations, when the times get tough, they kind of vanish for, for districts, right? And, you know, and there's crazy things that happens with, happens also with school leaders or whatever, but th- these organizations just vanish. Like when, when OCR is on your back, the state should be helping you out. Or um, there's, there's just... I wrote about this in School of Errors. If you haven't bought this book, go oh, right now. The audiobook is out there. It's the pinned thread up above. It's $7.99 on Downpour. You can download it. It's on sale until August 31st. $7.99, six hours of doc narrating, professional narrating. Come on. Um, but I, you know, I and I would, I would, everybody writes like, here's the organizations, here's how much they help me. I would stop and say, well, but have they really helped you? Like, maybe in these ways they have, but in this way they didn't, right? They didn't come out and tell you how to handle compensatory education. Like, they didn't give some models. They didn't give some templates of that. They didn't give you, like, some legal positions on how to inform yourself of, of your board of making a decision on mask. Like how to document that you've considered National Institute of Health, the CDC, your local um, hospitals and stuff like that. They're, these are all things that I wrote in this kind of position paper, of like how to defend yourself, right? And I was getting informed by attorneys who were putting this together, but this organizations. And why don't they do that? Because, oh, they, we don't want to give you a template. We don't want to be blamed. Or and, you know, so I look at this and then the other thing is I'm like, how, how often do you pick from a menu or do you say, I need this service that doesn't exist? Um, so, you know, that's where mental health kind of changes. Where, men, school, you know, these, these, these professional organizations weren't giving much for mental health conferences and whatever. And just, well, we need this because, like, we're getting more kids and diagnosed with anxiety or whatever. So, like, what do we do with the doctor's order versus... And as I've said, you know, people... If you look at conferences in education, right? If you look at teacher conferences, it's so much of it is, is stuff that people um, don't, it's not high priority, right? So, you know, I can come in and, 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 you know, look at conferences and say like, you know, all of this stuff, yeah, this is, I can understand like people would want to attend this, but like your reading levels, like how do you get a baseline reading level for every student? Like what, what's a model to do that? How would you actually do that? And then document, right? Like, so I want to see that. Like, I want to see how you would qualitatively interview students 
and include that in a five-year report for your district. Like, I actually want to want to see that. Like, um, I want to know about resources that are out there that I don't have to pay for. Like nowschoolsafety.gov, rems.ed.gov. You know, because the vendors are trying to sell you stuff. And uh, I, I just one of the things I tell my new soups is I said, get a take some time with your administrative team and put together a list of 10 questions for your school district attorney and questions that you're, you're, you don't, you're not sure of. And these things don't happen enough. So they're just automatic, but like, what if a custodial, a non-custodial parent comes to pick up a kid? What's the process for that? What if a teacher is getting um, statements made about them online by a parent, um, not threatening stuff, but about like they're they're not competent to do their job, and maybe they're taking a photocopy of an assignment, posting something, you know, criticizing them. And do they, what? How would you handle that, right? Legally, is there something you can do in that, or legally, is it free speech? I mean, so this is we we do this in the classes. We come up with these questions, and I said, if you do this, then you have your teachers because you don't bring in an attorney for you know five eight hundred dollars an hour, right, in your district attorney to sit there and just field questions off the cuff. You generate these and then that attorney presents and says, here's 10 things. And I know these are from your district or you know, some of you. And, and then that's it. There's no questions. Just move on. But, um, but well, or um, never retire. Just don't do it for the money. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's interesting because I mean, some people do do it for money and sometimes you have to do it for money. I mean, sometimes you get the the credentials and the pathway to, to do it for the money and kind of the system is, is kind of left that you knew. I don't know. All those things I call it asking for a hot dog, not on the menu. Yeah. So I, I do this in my, and people are teachers, new administrators are really unsure of how to handle this because they've never critically looked at these organizations before. They've always held them in this ivory tower palace, you know, the, these things. And that's where I went with School of Errors and said, you know, the professional standards for educator learning are all garbage. And here's why. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like, um, but not saying these organizations are all bad, but saying they could do more for you. So what, how could they help you right now? And especially during COVID, like, we you know, we were coming up with a ton of ways, like how they could, could help you, how they could give guidance. And one of the things was like a clearinghouse, right? A toolbox, basically, where a couple of these organizations could have taken some policy stuff that districts were putting out and saying, you know, here are districts who have put together policy for attendance or for our, you know, making decisions on whether school be in person or not, and then like share it out with other districts. They could have been a clearinghouse for that and said, you know, we're, we want to give some models. Some, and then the argument against that always is, well, then if we do it, we're responsible or we're endorsing it, or if we do it this way, then everybody will do it that way. REMS TA by the way, which is the readiness and emergency, which I talked about um, in the previous show. Let's do, I want to bring this up because this is the part that, uh, so here's the break glass response to someone in a very high paid position in a state organization that's very detached actually working in schools, but it's one of these organizations, right? Or it could be national organization. And they get pressed and, you know, it's like, you know, why aren't, why aren't you doing more? And, and could you, why, why can't we, why can't we get some sample policies from you? Can't, 
can you collect some policies from districts and kind of give examples or at least like here's a small district here's a medium i mean like some at least that we can pick from and they, they wouldn't do it they didn't do it um but let's look over here right let's let's do this let's share so this is rems ta existence right now readiness emergency management for schools they have the toolbox the toolbox right they have this so submit your tools so this is federal this is federal this is really well done this is the one that schoolsafety.gov seems to be replacing which i think is ludicrous but it's garbage you could have had imagine if it's a state your state and they're saying hey during now it's two years ago let's say whatever they're saying submit your tools here for how you manage how you document time you're spending on the phone or whatever um in zoom with kids with disabilities so you know how much service they're being provided for their ip and how much is not right um how about your tool for how you're communicating at, at board meetings or whatever covid table table covid 19 tabletop exercise right here um some so all of this stuff I've, so this is the counter i just bring back and say well rems can do it and they do it and you could do this right you could do this as a state organization or if it's like a human resources organization or if it's a finance organization and then they'll say well it's more individual to our district. We we respond one-on-one. -on -one. Well, you don't. And I know that you don't because they tell me. Or like they would specifically submit questions and they wouldn't get answers. Or, you know, look at a conference and say, every conference right now should be, everything in the conference is how to function during the pandemic. It's not what you, the warm fuzzies, it's down to brass tacks. So again, like this whole thing here, this is really, really good. And um, the state organizations, you know, this was one thing they could have pivoted to, which they, they didn't. So, but it, it is really amazing when I when I have people scrutinize um, organizations that they've never questioned before, and I just say, is it, is it worth? Is it really worth paying four to six thousand dollars for this? But on the other hand, people be like, well, I'm not paying it. It's taxpayer dollars it's paid out of our district fund. You know, it's not coming out of their pockets. So this is the thing where like. I said, you know, as we start the show, $50,000 bonuses for teachers. Who's paying that? It's ultimately either coming from leftover pandemic money or it's coming out of their fund balance or it's an ex exception where they're putting it on their tax rate, their mill rate. But it's not that principal. It's not that school board. And by the time the implications of it, the angriness, it's two years from now, most of the people will be gone anyway. Or, you know, there's a there's a high level of immunity too in these these positions, uh, legal immunity. So it's not like you're going to get some challenge of a, of a fiscal incompetence or not being a steward of the district. So, so again, why you know there there can be people who say, you know, I, I know this this can't happen forever. It's kind of like printing money. Like you're going to have inflation just like you're having a teacher competing bonuses. People be like, it's not me. It's, um, you know, I'm not paying the dime and I'm going to be out of here when this you know, happens. Um, so, and if, it, if this, if Dave, this is what it takes to get me from now until last day of school, June 3rd, then that's what it takes. Kind of that money ball approach. But again, money ball is a little different though, because money is about fiscal response. 
responsibility and not having kind of unlimited dollars to, to flow into things and try to make it go away. Bolo um, is saying specialists and experts can often find themselves with no one to ask for help and the ego hits. That's a really good point. It's really good. Specialists and experts can often find themselves. That's really good. I'm glad you, you put that out here. Um, yeah. So there's something called, that's, that's really good. Yeah. As So, you know, if you're an educator, um, you know, your principal kind of puts you down to a smaller group of people you're with. Um, if you're a school administrator, it grows even smaller. But, you know, as I talked about with that OCR complaints and sending those fake envelopes to you by cohorts, right? My colleagues, like, you know, we were a close group. We all kind of went through very similar stuff. So you have that, right? The more like specializing experts, you do get put on an island. Um, I want to, there's this, this is really worth reading. So let me pull it over here. It's, um, this is from, if you just type in the Vagabonds, V-A-G-A, Bonds, well, plus Henry Ford. But, hey, it's Riggs Jr. Hey, Riggs. Um, the Vagabonds. So this, as Bolo said, you know, specialists and experts can often find themselves with no one to ask for help. Between 1915 and 1924, um, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, Harvey Firestone, and John Burroughs um, used to do summer trips. So they, they would go out in the Florida Everglades and you know, expeditions and stuff. But here they are. You know, like they're out here and they're camping and, you know, like they would, they would throw your, your uh, camp chair into the fire. Like if you went to the bathroom behind a tree or something, you know, I mean, they were doing all this kind of crazy stuff, but so these are all like super powerful people, right? Like, you know, Henry Ford, I mean, these are super powerful. So like, who, who can they relate to? And that was one of the things when they did the four vagabonds for nine years is, is they would get together and they would just outside of work and you know they would take these trips and they would and it just kind of camping things right um and and that was because they could relate to each other but they had to find they had to seek each other out and had to commit to this and you know i don't know could you do it today or what it would look like or anything but you kind of can do it i mean masculine geek if you take you know vince and rob and tj and, and uh, the commitment that they've made to you know once or twice a year to get together in person and to do things, you know, like go to historical sites or, you know, do gaming or, you know, things like, like that. But there needs to be a real conscious effort. And this type of stuff is, is gone today. People don't do this anymore. But take some time, read about the four vagabonds because, uh, you know, this, this was really a cool, really a cool thing. Riggs is saying, not much. I'm trying to relax. Oh, no. It's your crappy day. Sorry about that, buddy. So, so I hope you'd have a good day there. So, so, yeah, that four vagabonds. Again, schools, and so that's, I spent some time in the classes talking about the two of us. Who are your, it's not, it's not just like, when a, 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 a superintendent who I respect very much, and, and this was, this was one thing he told people after like a stressful day. It's like really kind of stressful day. 
go home and like listen to a, a radio station you don't typically listen to anyway. And that's pretty surface level in that part. I mean, it, at least it was kind of something. But um, yeah, to you gotta have people in not even necessarily in your profession, but people you're able to to hang around with and have like velocity of information. There's not a lot of people I could really have a good talk <laughs> with about that. There are people, I mean, I appreciate that very, very much when they um, when they they show an interest in my work and you know uh, you know we talk about it. Uh, I, I really appreciate. That. I really appreciate that. But you know, there just frankly aren't a lot of people with that kind of their thing and. and with that book is, is together. So, you know, for me to continue to talk about philosophy of information and, and what that looks like and how it projects and how people should be considering that, or if you have families that you can watch for. Yeah, you know, I got to stay energized by keeping kind of my network of people, some of the people interviewing the book and touching base with them. So, Bacon is saying, speaking of masculine geek, I. Never letting Jack Napier live down, buying everyone around with white claws and a damn bar. Jack, coming over to over to the United States, my guy. So, so yes, teacher shortages um, not going away. Um, if you do these big bonuses, it's not going to impact retention. Remember that um, a very well-structured study, and I analyzed this, when you are marketing a, a job or living experience, a neighborhood, town to something, town to people right to work, um, if people, if people will make the choice of saying, I want to live, I want to be in an environment where if I lose my wallet, someone's going to return it to me, right, with everything in it. I want that, and I will take that over a chance to make more money. Study it was double. So, you know, we're you know, if you. So, what does that mean for the school stuff? I mean, because you could say, yeah, teachers need we need to bring up the, the pay and stuff like that. And there's this other side of how do you, as HR, how do you market the part of this, which is the returning your wallet, right? Lose that aspect. Oh no! Maybe I'll throw that out there. What does this look like? There's only so much you can do when you bring somebody in and say, "Here's a, these pluses of our community, right? Why you should, why you should live here? Um, someone can be remote. Um, other strategies, so things that are being done now. Schools are." Some schools are doing a four-day work week. Um, they're making it easier for people who don't have a teaching license to enter the profession. Um, and going with international teachers, paying relocation expense, expenses. I think um, teachers should should negotiate their salary. You're in a much less stronger position if you're in a high-need area. You can find that out in search of your state. You know, I work in chemistry or tech ed or if I work in speech therapy, physical therapy, I need, I can probably negotiate 
parts of your payment compensation package. And retirement packages, um, schools are trying to make that a selling point. It's not going to work. People want money now. They have no idea what's going to be down, what the world will be like in 30 years, like how much the world will change in three years. So you've got to take your foot off of the ass and retirement stuff because it just doesn't mean doesn't mean squat to people. Um, schools are a money ball approach. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's really like you should take your HR director and your school board and superintendent and business manager and you should all watch Moneyball. And then just leave and say, all right, this is our game plan. Because it really is. It is. And, you know, again, look at the A's. The A's didn't um, implode because of that approach. I mean, it worked for a while until other people caught on to it leveled out across the league. You are preparing for one school year. The chant, the legacy thing, the institutional knowledge is you've got to figure out how you're going to document, how you're going to pass it on, but it is not the slow baton past where, oh, someone's coming in now. Josie's coming in because her mom is retiring who was here for 32 years. Now Josie's going to take your classroom. Um, you don't have the stuff. Oh, oh, like, you know, you're coming over here, uh, military, and you haven't been a teacher before. So, okay, let's do this. There's just a lot of things that you got to kind of understand if you're a teacher. What's an IEP? Um, Seclusion restraint. Like, if you see two kids fighting, and even if they're really going at it, like, you know, if you physically separate those students without having a trained team to restrain them, um, you can be, be in big trouble for that. So, um, I have follow interesting make teachers uh, take IQ tests. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of IQ. I've taken a number. I take some. I don't know some of the programs I got into. I think they got rid of. It's interesting because somebody took philosophy of information and did what. They call the reverse IQ test by taking reading. There's have to be some way that you take the reading level and the terms. And but anyway, I'm sure it's like a pseudoscience. One person, but they tried to generate what they thought the IQ of the author. So, I think you can probably do that maybe with fairly accurate range because you'd have a pretty good sampling, like sixty thousand words of something. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, purchase the Velocity of Information. Get a paperback. Great book. Great book. Also, I mean, figures in here that were custom designed by Amy Cape, DeStefano, credit to her. Uh, but we put stuff together. It's amazing, this book. And it's, again, it's up for the SI Hayakawa Book Prize. So I'll know in a month if I receive it or not. School of Errors is the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry. $3 billion is really, if you take in mental health and the money that's coming out for fortifications and stuff, it's probably five, six billion. It's really doubled since the book has been written, which is probably equal to inflation, right? Um, this is in paperback now, 20 bucks. You can find this book. So this was released in summer in paperback, otherwise, it's hard, hard copies like 30. If you really want to commit, 
Um, but otherwise, this book, and it's out there in ebook for less, and it's also out there in audiobook. So, and it's on Audible. Um, it's also in the link I posted. There's many places, like it's rolling out to like 44 distributors, most libraries are having it in audiobook. I narrated it, so um, at a studio. But you get to hear like, you know, the passion of the, the doc. Um, so $7.99, about Doc. And then is, um, so, oh, yeah, so anyway, in Audible, it's kind of weird because they, they price things different. A couple places do that. So, like, I put the book at $7.99 until the 31st of August. So it was accessible for parents. I marked it down for libraries, too. And so some places, like Downport, $7.99. In Audible, it's more. It's like twice that. But then I don't know if Audible expects that people will use their Audible credit toward it. Or I, I knew that going in that the pricing was going to be different. Like I would set a price and half of the distributors would follow that and half would change it. I, I do get proportionally, if it sells for more on a certain site, I do get that. But, um, Polo is, is saying, is it in the water? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Pretty crazy. You know, after when I wrote about it in School of Errors, School of Errors is just a really good book. Take away the school safety stuff. It's just a really good book. Thinking during chaotic times and how, like, something that happened to you 15 years ago or happened to the nation 15 years ago, like Rocky versus Drago, Rocky IV. Rescue. Um, but uh, there's, there's just a lot of good stuff in that book. And social contract, right? The Leviathan. How, how, um, what we expect from the government, right? So the government doing these trade-offs with us for the last twenty years. Like, oh, we know we got to be able to read your email to keep everybody safe. Or you got to wear your, you got to take your shoes off to get an airplane to stay safe. Um, you know, where do these trade-offs, well, you know, end? Like, what do you keep giving? What do you keep handing, handing over? And that the book really lays that out. Like that was, you know, well before the pandemic. Oh, like yeah, there's this app now, partial app on her phone of, you know, fifteen feet around or eight feet around somebody close to someone who's tested positive for fifteen minutes. I get notified. All of that weird stuff. Um, Bacon saying you ever consider narrating other people's books? I've been asked this a couple times. I don't. I narrating was uh, was a terrifying experience for me. It was one of the hardest things I've done in my life was to narrate School of Errors. Um, and, and actually, my voice doesn't. I mean, it seems to be holding out pretty well tonight. But I, a lot of people I know who are narrators can can narrate five six hours a day, right? They can. I can. My voice. My voice can't hold out for that. So. It's noticeable in School of Errors. Well, that was recorded over, I think, like eight sessions, and you know, it's different. Like the humidity would change my voice. Um, I mean, if, if you, I mean, School of Errors is definitely noticeable. My philosophy of information was professionally narrated by Ben Hawk, and uh, yeah, that's amazing, right? I mean, the guy's an actor, and, and but, uh, School of Errors—the only way it could ever be an audiobook was I had to narrate it. It's part of the deal. 
why it got done because I didn't. I, I wanted to have an accessible book for people who were visually impaired. I worked at the School for the Blind to not have school errors accessible to blind people. I, just, I had to write them. But are you saying I have a good voice? I got to be a good narrator because people have told me uh, I have a good voice, like for radio and a couple people who have edited you know, some things that I've had in my interview, you know, stuff, whatever. So you have a good voice. You know, like someone, someone told me not too long ago, like an Art Bell back in the 90s or whatever. You know, you could, if you had like a show or something, we had guests on you you have a good voice. Matthew Hoover from CRS Firearms, the first time we talked, it was on the phone before any of the time I was his show and you know, my show, but we, we talked about it. And after we got a little bit in, he goes, you got a really good voice. Like you should, we, we should talk. Like you should be doing more on YouTube. You got like a really good YouTube voice. And he's the guy who would know because he's making his living at the time doing that and and he was studying all the details of here's what you have to do with the thumbnail and keywords and when to release stuff and but he was immediately he's like whoa and uh, so yeah um i would i, I wouldn't do it for other people because i don't think I'd, I'd meet their standard and i don't i don't have the um well, one, I'd have to, to do the technical. Um, I'd have to, I don't have the technical stuff to do it here, so I'd have to upgrade that. And I don't want the pressure, right? I don't want someone to to do that, to hire me. And then I, right, I, have to, I feel I have to get this stuff done and I have to go through. So, yeah. But I have, I have been asked a few times if I would consider that. And I was like, when, when I narrated School of Errors, um, and I, I actually love public speaking, right? I've been on PBS twice. When narrating a book, it was really strange because I, I told the audio engineer, so it's just him and I in the studio, that's it. I'm in a little booth. And he's listening in another area and talking to me over headphones. I'm kind of just reading. Um, and, and I, I said, I'm just, I'm just like, I don't know, terrified of this, which was really strange. And you have to, you have to do so much prep work too. Like you have to figure out when you're going to take a breath because if you're reading 10,000, 15,000 words, um, and you know, you, so you have to, so I have the, all of these documents like School of Errors, I went through, and I have a PDF, and I went through and I marked where to take a breath. And I marked it words that I was real sure on how to pronounce it. I listened to other people pronounce them just so I had the right accent. Um, and then I also had to, so I had that, and I had a print copy, and then I would go and listen at night to the files. And there was a lot to it, but I was, I would lose my, my, I would, I would, add in a word that wasn't supposed to be there, right? Or I would do a little commentary, but it wasn't in the narrative. And so I'd have to re-record that. Or I would, would just, um, my, so still there were a lot of things, like you'd have to do do retakes. So that if, when you listen to School of Errors, I mean, philosophy of information is perfectly polished because 
been was also the engineer on that, but you can tell like where I had to come in and redo parts of that because it was there was a mistake in it or, or didn't have the same energy. So, um, but yeah, I think I think I would be I would be a really fun sidekick or co-host on a regular show. You know, like an Adam Carolla um, or something like that. Like, I would be really good. But I, yeah, I, I think that would be, that would be a cool thing. Because there are a lot of funny things, you know, like I thought about sending the fake complaint stuff out to friends. There's just a lot of just funny stuff in, in, in general, like, you know, that you can bring in, you don't have to get so serious. I, I really think I would I would thrive in a two person show. I don't know what that would be. So, if anything, I mean, in school of errors, though, narrating that and having having that accomplished number it's just a, a big personal accolade, right? I mean, it's one of those things people will never have an idea of how, how complex that process was, how much time. To Reading, reading, it's six hours. The book is six hours before we edit it down. That's a lot that went into that. So, let's see, you're going through the chat to, to wrap things up. So, let's go over here. Oh, if you haven't already. Man, oh man, I got a pair of shoes I've been watching on eBay. Oh, I'd love to do a show sometime. It's, it's Corey Slater joining us here at uh, three hours and twenty-five minutes. Corey, I would like to do a show where you go on to Craigslist because I, I, I did this last week just on my own, and you go for free stuff. If you just go free, it doesn't work very well because people put the word like free shipping or Free delivery, like, and the item's not free. So you got to go free stuff, and you usually find it's just stuff free. And the, the most crazy stuff you'll find, like, there was one lady who posted, and she had a, a picture of, like, three-fourths bottle full of, like, lice. And, and then, like, you know, some pine saw, like, a half-used thing of whatever, and she's like, mostly full cleaners just need to get rid of kind of a weird thing to put out there for free that someone would contact you for a three-eighths full bottle of Fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm like, I, I don't know how that, how that works. I need to contact Bull uh, Bull because he's asked me a few times Joe to come on his show, which I will. But I, I need to say, yeah, set the date. So yeah, and just going through the goofy things, like somebody had a couple lawn chairs and they they were like all the, the stuff was ripped out, you know, like chairs from the 80s where they fabric that would go across the strips. And it said like, you know, you, you can um, re refinish these chairs, reupholster. Re um 
Hang on just a second. I got to check something. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident? And what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David P. Perodin teaches you how to prevent mental burnout by observing indicators and building a robust member check network. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, The velocity of information will empower its readers. Drawing on current events, history, interviews, and scholarship, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change in this fast-spinning world. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. There are teachable moments on every page. By the Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. It's true. Book is available from your favorite bookstore. So, um, here's over on Amazon. Right? So, here's School of Errors and uh, 54s. If you haven't reviewed it, you've read it, please review it. This is available in so amazing to see. Yeah, Kindle, 15 bucks, the audiobook. If you don't, the subscription they charge $17.46. No favorite $7.99 on Downpour. And so this image had to be different than the cover of the book because I didn't own the image. Of errors right there. I don't own that. It's the publisher. Designed that and bought this image. So I had to have a new image design. And you can't copyright a title. You can title a book with this name of somebody else. You can't copyright a title. And they were, they were fine with this. Right so you have to use a different image. And I had this made for me and, and the right to use this image. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And then once we get over to the sample, um, the last of information is about 17 reviews for too long. So that needs to, people need to review. I know people have read it and people have the audio, please. Um, and it's really important now because. This book is being considered for a major award to have you know, people who read it and it was meaningful to them to take take some time to share that. Because, you know, really it's this time when people are looking, in addition to reading the book, they're looking at the reviews. So if you have it, you've done that, please take the time and, and to get that out there. Especially with school of errors being back to school of errors. People look then of what else has the author written? And I say, oh, you know, philosophy of information. This is the time my books sell like the most, right? Because it's back to school and philosophy of information. It's momentum for me. But right now, philosophy of information. Window where it is being considered. So 
like if you're gonna if you read it, you're gonna write a review or listen to it. Review is, is likely more powerful now than it would be. Appreciate any time that you wrote. Over chat here. So, Vanessa saying, I buy two audiobooks and two weeks. Awesome. It's awesome. I, so, Vanessa, my uh, my local library, I, I offered to buy School of Airs. Lots of information. But, um, and it was weird because they're like, well, can you just donate a copy? I'm like, well, no, I, like on a thumb drive or whatever. I'm like, I can't. It's not the way that audiobooks work. I mean, you you have a system, right? You buy audiobooks. Let me know what that is for your overdrive or whatever. I'll write you a check and donation to the library. It never happened. Like, they, they really were just like, why can't you just do this? Because that's not the way that donations work to libraries. So, oh, bacon, kitty, Henry. Corey. Corey is someone who Vanessa, I should buy lunch and bring them to service reports for cell phone numbers. Oh, that's pretty crazy. I have that from Vanessa um, on the first day of the superintendent class I'm teaching this fall. First day, I have articles where we discuss exactly what you're saying. Cell phone lockers and banning cell phones. And the state of Michigan moving to try to ban cell phones. And break it down, you know, like, is, first of all, is this where you want to put your time when you have school shortages? This is innate technology everyone's always going to have with them. But um, I think what's happening is the TikTok challenges got out of control. So, you know, film yourself stealing the paper dispenser from your school bathroom. Um, and so that's one of the things. I think the other thing is people are starting to become aware of the deep fakes, right? You can videotape or, or get a, a video clip on your phone of a teacher, another student or whatever, and, and modify it. So it looks like they're saying something or they're vaping or whatever. So these weaponized deep fakes are really a big part. So busy streaming tonight, good thing. And someone was, I'm sorry, yeah, I, I basically kind of become, oh, I basically have become kind of a, a chat room a moderator. Is this better? Like Mike was down I need to get out. The only thing I need to read close to this movie Carlos Castillo or maybe some more more Good deal. I'm a big angry fellas. Yeah, th Thursday night usually when I was doing these shows on a more regular basis. I did Monday nights because there really wasn't a lot of content. Thursday night, Rumble, Nick August. There's just there's just more going on. Wednesdays, masculine. Mondays seem to be working pretty well. I just moved this to did this one. I guess I, I need to stop and commit to a more regular like you know, Monday schedule. I think, um, you know, like Bacon is, he staked Friday nights. He stuck with that. Oh my God. So, like, you know, Friday night, you know, 10 o'clock, my time, you know, you'll get, yeah, Central Time Bacon's going to be there. So. 
All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to take us out with a few ads here, but I appreciate it. I appreciate it. If you read my books, two post reviews. Appreciate any watch hours. This is episode 183, so all shows are out there in video. There's a lot of cool interviews, too. Hey, Larry Lawton, America's Big Jewel Thief, is on the show. Go back and find that. And Larry has 1.41 million YouTube followers. And, uh, yeah, find out how, you know, how, how did you really get information in jail that you could trust, right? Like, who, who, who's your go-to? Especially if you're being shuffled around or being put in a hole for a month, you know. And it's all there. Well, um, so, yeah, nice to see everybody. Hey, Corey, uh, Bacon, Andrew, uh, Vanessa, Bolos, so appreciate it, Solitude. And uh, until next time, all right, take care and appreciate. I guess I got to get better mics. I got to bust them in. Let me take us out here. So, all right, uh, let me... Let me take us out and see everybody. Describe the odor. Is it like when something electrical is burning? And so on. Ridiculous, right? We don't shift the investigation to the reporter. But that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principles from burning out. And as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting. Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis, and so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that.